0: I'm Jen and I'm Angela from the Anomaly Podcast. And you're listening to Tricks and Sci-Fi. Hey folks, welcome to Treks and Sci-Fi. This is podcast number five twenty-seven. I'm going to be talking about uh, Tolkien, the uh, man and the um, some of his works. Not necessarily the movies, of course. That's going to come up. but It's not our primary conversation. I am sitting here in the living room of my good friend Dave. Um, he, I've known Dave for a long time. So if this sounds a little echoey, we're sitting in his living room with the windows open. It's a lovely evening in Florida, unlike you people up north. Um, so. That's what our plan is. So, Dave, say hello. Hi, uh, my name is David.
1: I have been a lifelong fan of J.R.R. Tolkien, and um, I've—I uh, don't know that I feel comfortable being regarded as a Tolkien expert. I would say that maybe an enthusiastic lifelong fan uh, who reads as much and as often into the legendarium and about the man as I as often as I can and as much as I can. Um, But I don't think I'll be publishing any scholarly papers on on, uh, Tolkien or his work anytime soon. Well,
0: of all the people that I know, Dave is an expert. (laughs) That's why I said that compared to me. Now, my wife is fairly uh, well-versed in Tolkien, but um, she will not do one of these.
1: (laughs) It's interesting. I'm doing a reread of uh, The Lord of the Rings right now, and I think... Your wife Jenny is as well, isn't she? Yes,
0: yeah, she's actually
1: um, in the Two Towers right now. I, and I, the reason I bring it up is because I just got into the fourth chakra of the Two Towers.
0: Yep. Yeah, she's uh, she's she's been going through it again. I've I started reading the Silmarillion, <coughs> which is light reading. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, if you're used to reading the King
1: James version of the Bible. Oh, oh boy.
0: Um, it, uh, it, so what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit about Tolkien as a person. I don't know. I mean, I have not read any biographies on him. I've, I know what I know from watching documentaries and things like that. Um, Dave probably knows a lot more. I'm sure he does because when I was going through the bio that I was reading, he was reading the facts off to me. So that's what we're going to do. It uh, should be kind of fun. should be interesting. I haven't done one where I'm sitting in front of another person. It's kind of odd. Usually when I do one... Um, it's on Skype, so this is going to be a different kind of conversation for me to have, at least. This is the kind of stuff that when me and Dave usually sit down and talk, we can just nonsense BS about things for hours. Yeah, usually there's just not a microphone in the (laughs) middle between (laughs) us. (laughs) And, you know, there's usually a lot of alcohol involved, which is a tradition of Trex and sci-fi. For me, there's I got some booze. Um, Tolkien was a, there's a tradition there. He's, he was
1: a, a fan of drinking beer and having conversations with friends. So this is in a,
0: a proud tradition that Tolkien himself would have appreciated. <laughs> so that's what we're doing now. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Tolkien. I'm going to go through a bio that I found. It's quite, it's, it's not too long and then hmm. we're going to get into a little bit more embellishment on it. But I wanted to get some facts out there and, and reading. Uh, I can shut my brain off and read <laughs> so J.R.R. R. Tolkien, or, uh, John Ronald, yeah, Rule, yeah, Tolkien yeah. settled. Yeah, he yeah. was. Um, he, he preferred Ronald.
1: It's what his family and friends would call him.
0: Ronald. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So he was born uh, January third, uh, eighteen ninety-two, in Bloemfontein, South Africa. Wow. Yeah, his father was a, uh, a banker,
1: as a matter of fact, who was looking for some. Uh, employment and he was posted to uh south africa and at the time he was uh newly married and it was sort of a risky venture to take your family from the west midlands uh in england over you know overland to africa i think they took a steamer but um so tolkien yeah he was uh he was born there and his brother whose name was hillary was born there as well Mm. um had a, a childhood that's there were some instances which may have informed his later life, life and
0: uh, and writing. So, yeah, this says his dad's name was Arthur. Hmm. He died from peritonitis, which I don't know what that is, but it sounds bad. Um, it's sort of an infection, isn't it? Yeah, obviously the itis part, but I'm trying to figure if that's like mouth, maybe? Um, or I don't know. But, um, uh, so, um, Mabel, his mother, uh, took him to um, the hamlet of Serhul, in Birmingham, England. Mm. So that is when he... Because when you think of Tolkien, you th- always think of England because he's a kind of the quintessential country English guy, isn't he, really? Yeah, and if you saw pictures of Serial, you would
1: instantly recognize it as the Shire. Um, there's even a mill that uh, used to exist there that um, he, he based the mill in Hobbiton on, the illustration, the, oh. the famous illustration... That, uh, Tolkien himself
0: drew. So his mother died in in 1904, um, and then the brothers were sent to live with a relative and in boarding homes with a Catholic priest assuming guardianship in Birmingham. So I'm sorry to keep interrupting, but
1: there's really some interesting stuff that kind of happens here. <laughs> Go ahead. So, That's why you're here. So, so Tolkien's mom, her name was Mabel. She was from the Suffield family, which is a very well-to-do um, uh, protestant british protestant mm-hmm. very um um you know respected and sort of the bagginses of the west midlands right so she um uh when she went back home um which is a- she actually went back to england to visit family and she was in england when her husband died so she never went back to south africa okay um and uh tolkien uh, has had a, a, a very clear memory of his mother being sort of an all-sacrificing, sainted martyr because when she went home to um, the UK, uh, she converted to Catholicism. Uh, and that was not easy because her respectable English relations were Protestants and they utterly rejected her conversion to Catholicism. They actually... Kicked her out of the house, told her to find her own way in the world, um, which she did. Uh, she sort of lived in genteel poverty, um, sort of uh, off of the um, the uh, good auspices of the of the church. Um, so, unfortunately, Mabel uh, Tolkien uh, contracted diabetes, and back then, and I think it was nineteen oh four, that was pretty much a death sentence. Um, this is about twenty years before the discovery of insulin um so yeah she died and the um the tolkien brothers uh, ronald and uh, hillary were uh, adopted by a uh, a maternal aunt actually an aunt-in-law uh who really had no sort of familial connection with the with the boys uh but they sort of came out under the protection of a catholic priest named uh, Francis Morgan. And this, this man was somebody who was very influential on Tolkien his, uh, for his, certainly his early life, but probably for um, informed a, a lot of the way Tolkien's uh, worldview uh, uh, developed. Um, and his... Um, yeah, so he ca- kind of went to... His aunt didn't keep the boys very long, and he went to a boarding house. Um, and at the boarding house, something very significant happened. He met a woman... Um, Named Edith Bratt. And uh, she was a couple years older than he was. Um, And uh, he was 16 at the time. And he and Edith formed a connection. She was an orphan as well. And he was an orphan. And um, they eventually decided that... And this is a a quote from Humphrey Carpenter, the only official authorized biographer of Tolkien. They had decided that they were in love. Um, Which was... uh, a relationship that would last until the end of both their lives. Um, they were married for more than 50 years um, and had a, uh, a, a relationship that's, that uh, inspired Tolkien in a lot of different ways. Um, but unfortunately, the relationship was discovered by the Catholic priest, uh, Father Morgan, who was not really happy with it because unfortunately, Edith Bratt wasn't Catholic. Um, and he also felt that Edith had uh, caused Tolkien to not score well on some of his, uh, his exams to enter into Oxford. So he, for, he forbade the relationship. And he said he couldn't have, Tolkien couldn't have any contact or connection with Edith until he was 21. Um, but by this point, Tolkien was um, 18 when he was uh, forbidden to speak to Edith. Um, and Tolkien obeyed. Obeyed. Uh, so he buckled down. He uh, went to school. He actually didn't do very well at, at first, uh, but he eventually did well enough to get into Oxford. And uh, on the day that he turned 21, he actually, he wrote a letter to Edith Bratt asking, uh, you know, telling her that he had never forgotten about her and uh, was still in love with her and wanted to marry her. At the time, Edith was engaged to another man. <laughs> oh, um.
0: That's complicated.
1: Yeah, um, and and actually, the only reason she had uh, gotten engaged with another man was because she felt that she had been. I think the quote was put on a shelf by uh, Tolkien. So uh, now that she understood that his feelings had not changed, uh, things were different for her. She decided that you know he was her you know the person that she wanted to be with, and she accepted his proposal. But of course, uh, you know this is 1913, and the world as you know, is you know teetering on the, the brink of the First World War. There's all these nationalistic events that are happening there right. eventually about a year later going to start the First World War.
0: Yeah, he did. He married her in 1916, right? So he... At which point Tolkien had enlisted but as a
1: lieutenant in the Lancashire Fusiliers. That's right. Um, he finished his... He wanted to finish his education first, which was sort of a controversial decision, Because, um, at that point in time, if you weren't, if you didn't enlist, you were sort of regarded as, um, you know, not quite patriotic. Um, a lot of folks, you know, in August of 1914 were marching to the recruitment centers and signing up, but Tolkien made a decision that he was going to finish school first. Um, which he did. Uh, and after he did, after he got, um, after he was done, he, he did enlist. And he uh, went to training, uh, training school. And he was, uh, when it looked like he was about ready to, to get his orders, To well, he got his orders to ship out to France. Uh, and very very soon before that, he and Edith married, even though he had no prospects. Um, and, and she didn't have much of a family. He didn't have much of a family other than, you know, his brother who kind of went off and did his own thing. I, I believe he became a farmer. Hmm. Um, and, of course, the, the Catholic priest who was sort of watching over him. But Tolkien went to war. Um, and this is not insignificant, as his Catholicism and his experiences in World War One are something that you can see reflected in the themes of The Lord of the Rings. Right. Um, Tolkien often talked about fighting the long defeat, which is a very Catholic s- sort of thought, right? Um, and of course, it uh, also has to do with the senselessness of... Uh, the, just a meat grinder that was the Western Front in, in 1914, or, uh, 1914 through 1918. Right. Um, Tolkien was in the, the one of the most significant battles of the war, the Battle of the Somme. Um, and he, uh, his, uh, he, he had a group of friends, actually, that uh, he had made a pledge on the eve of the war that they were going to rejuvenate uh, epic English literature and poetry epic English poetry um and yeah you know, I'm not going to remember all of their names but how uh, dare you G.B. Smith uh, <laughs> Christopher Wiseman uh <laughs> and uh gosh there's another one and Tolkien Tol- Tolkien of course right um and yeah I the only one who uh of Tolkien's friends who survived the battle the battle of the Somme was uh, Christopher Wiseman who remained a a friend of Tolkien for the rest of his life um but the rest of them, they, they were all killed. Tolkien contracted um, trench fever in the on the Western Front, it and was, it was invalided home. But what's uh, uh, very significant about his experiences is that in 1917 he started um, in the crossings from England to France in the in the uh, the tents and in the trenches. Uh, putting down his the, the feelings that he was having, um, the experiences that he was collecting, um, and the, the, the reading and the studies that he had uh, synthesized, starting to build this, what he would later refer to as a legendarium. Um, I believe one of his, uh, you know, his, er, his earliest uh, glimpses of Middle-earth is a fragment called The Fall of Gondolin. Which appears in much later in this, in what Christopher Tolkien would compile into the Silmarillion. Um, but if you, you know, if you look at that, um, you could start to see the connections to the Lord of the
0: Rings almost immediately in 1917. Hmm. So, after the war, he, um, he, Oh boy, oh boy, what did he do after the war? Well, after <laughs> the, war, after he, the war, he he continued his linguistic studies. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he joined the faculty. Leeds University. At Leeds University, yeah,
1: um, he actually spent some time with the Oxford English Dictionary. Wow, uh, yeah, w- working on uh, I think T words that uh, went T through W, <laughs> looking at the etymological origins of uh, you know that set of, uh, of uh, words. That now,
0: T, yeah, what sounds boring to me mm. is something but for that he probably and yeah, that's that's something that if you know about Tolkien, he loved language.
1: There's a funny. I don't know if this is sort of an apocryphal story, but I don't, I don't know how true it is, but, um, Tolkien also had a a pretty good sense of humor. Um, he was, you know, kind of a convivial fellow and, uh, he had a friend named T.W. Earp, who was a very short fellow. And, uh, there's a, a, a story again, not sure how true it is that Tolkien created the, um, the word, and inserted the word "twerp" into the Oxford English Dictionary to define a small ruffian type <laughs> fellow, twerp, uh, in honor and tribute of his friend T. W. Erp, twerp. So that's where the word "twerp" comes from. Apocryphally, I've I
0: never looked it up <clears throat> from uh, you know, you know oh. to verify it. But so he, while he was at um, Oxford, he, he started a writing group. It was called the Inklings, right?
1: Well, uh, yeah, he did. That's kind of it. Jumps ahead a little bit. The Inklings are a little little into the future. Um, That's okay, jumping ahead. <laughs> Tol- we,
0: we're, we are not his official biographers. True.
1: Uh, <laughs> T- Tolkien eventually did get a job back at uh, Oxford, and um, you know, in the 30s, he he um, he. It, this is actually a little little before he formed the the the. Um, the Inklings. Actually, the Inklings were not necessarily formed. They were a, uh, an informal get together of friends that gathered around a man named C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis, um, you know, obviously famous for the Chronicles of Narnia. The chronic
0: What Cools of Narnia? <laughs> what? <laughs> he uh, also
1: a very influential Christian apologist, more so because he started out uh, not as a Christian and uh, Lewis actually stated that Tolkien was one of the influences for Lewis to come back to Christianity hmm. um so Tolkien um and and Lewis became such you know good friends that Lewis actually got to look at the uh, manuscript of the Hobbit uh, long before it was published um and the Hobbit of course as everybody knows started as bedtime stories that Tolkien told to his children um and he Tolkien had four children. His his, um, his earliest son was born in, you know after he'd been invalided home from the war. His name was John, who later became a Catholic priest. Um, his uh, next son's name was Michael, his third son, born in 1924, is Christopher. Um, and his uh, last child, only daughter, uh, Priscilla. And um, he, uh, you know, a lot of the impetus... For his writing came from his interactions with his with his family, with his kids. Um, the talk, the um, Hobbit began as some stories that he was telling his right. kids. Um, he had a uh, is one of his kids had a little Dutch doll that they got on vacation somewhere that they loved, and the name of the doll was Tom Bombadil, huh. and um, <laughs> Tolkien. Long before he conceived the character in the Lord of the Rings, would write poems about Tom Bombadil for his children, and they were published prior to the Lord of the Prior Almost, I believe it was prior to the Hobbit, even. Wow. Uh, no connection to Middle Earth at that point. Right. Um, that would come later, of course. Um, and he would also every Christmas write letters from Father Christmas to his to his children as well, and they were they were really kind of fun. Uh, but you can tell the 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 genesis of the adventure stories that would become the Lord of the Rings kind of start from the, the germ of what's happening in the father Christmas letters as well. Hmm. Um, they involve like a, an adventure with polar bears and goblins would ride bats hmm. and elves that would help the bear against the bats. And, um, which by the way, these letters were collected and published again posthumously, um, by Christopher Tolkien's second wife, Bailey, um, uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, I believe. Um, but uh, okay, so yeah, Tolkien started writing the The Hobbit in the uh, early, th- late twenties, early thirties, um, and eventually got it published. I believe it was nineteen thirty seven. He uh, got That's it published nineteen thirty seven. Yeah, uh, and of course it was an enormous. Uh, well, it was a it was a hit. It was a, a, a bestseller on both sides of the pond.
0: Now, <clears throat> so was it uh, marketed as a children's book? Because he claims yeah. it was not meant to be well, a children's book. He no Tolkien wrote it for his kids, for his kids. But yeah. his sort of contention is that it's not meant for maybe only children. Or
1: well, I think you can read Tolkien on a couple of different levels. Um, I don't. I've never seen anything where he's claimed that the Hobbit was meant for anything more than any more serious audience than a, a young adult audience. And of course, this is prior to the young adult literature boom sure. that uh, you know started with Harry Potter. Um, who is a literary inheritor of Tolkien, of course. <laughs> um, but I, the, you, you bring up an interesting point because you know Tolkien always contended that fairy tales, um, the um, the what he called the tales from the perilous realm, right? That they weren't necessarily uh, for or appropriate for children. This is stuff that is potentially very otherworldly, very other. And very, it could be very scary. Hmm. Um, and you can sort of see a lot of lot of that creep into the Hobbit. Um, now, he certainly never intended the
0: Lord of the Rings to be a book for children. No, um, you can clearly. It's very. It's a very complicated. Uh, yeah, and it, it,
1: again, the Lord of the Rings sort of is a a book with an identity crisis, right? Because it does start off as a. Tolkien referred to it as the new Hobbit, right? Yes. His publisher, um, just within a year of uh, the Hobbit being published, uh, was already looking for a sequel because hmm. that's how these things went, right? You you make a bunch of money on something, you want to make more money on another one, like a bunch of like Mary Poppins or whatever. There was a right a, a probably a good of, analogy yes. series of books for that, right? Um, certainly, you know it's it's funny that it, this is an anecdote that you know, probably a lot of readers familiar with Tolkien already know. But Tolkien's publisher was Alan Unwin, a, a, a publisher in the UK. Um, and um, Stanley Unwin gave the Hobbit manuscript to his son, Rainer Unwin, who was 10, 10 years old at the time. And he said, all right, this is a kid's book. If this passes the test of my kid, then hmm. we'll publish it. So you could probably see a similar of Rainer Unwin's pencil-drawn letter review of The Hobbit, and he obviously gave it a pretty good review. Uh, Rainer Unwin, the ten-year-old at the time, would later become Tolkien's editor on uh, The Lord of the Rings and would shepherd the
0: legendarium into print all the way up through the Silmarillion. Wow. Yeah. So, do you, was uh, The Hobbit your first Tolkien book? Yeah. Okay, do you remember? I remember my first copy. I got it. Christmas time was about nine. Maybe a little bit younger. I don't remember exactly the year, but I remember I got it. My wife, my wife, ooh, Freudian slip. <laughs> um, my mother got me the D and D basic set. You know, it was the red box. They yeah. had the dice, had the big book, uh-huh. and the monster manual. I think was included, maybe in that, or it was an extra thing that she got for me. And then she got me the um, the little box set that you would get with books in it. You know, yeah. And it was the cover. Was the fat dude with who looked like he was wearing a wig? Um, he's got sword and he's wearing like you know kind of a baggy shirt and there's that weird looking golem, black golem. And um, I had I never read Lord of the Rings. I think you know I was still a kid. Yeah. Um, I'd seen the which we were talking about before, uh, when I got here um, the Bakshi animated yeah. which freaked me out. Yeah. The, and the um, Rankin-Bass The Rankin-Bass, versions. at least yeah. The Hobbit, I remember seeing on yeah. Channel 11 in New York. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I was interested in it, and I did read it, and I read all of them. So that was my first... I was pretty young when I got my first copy. That's a really interesting
1: uh, uh, thing, viewing the phenomenon through the prism of the 80s. Because right. by this time, The Hobbit had been out... Since fifty or yeah. thirty seven, well, so I mean, this was and, like early
0: eighties. So you're talking like forty something years, yeah.
1: Yeah, but the Lord of the Rings had really only sort of exploded in America um, uh, since the mid sixties, right? Hippies. Tolkien was sort of embarrassed by the counterculture um, really grasping uh, his, you know, his uh, Lord of the Rings because Tolkien, you couldn't find somebody further away from a countercultural. Than Tolkien, right? Although he was sort of a conservative hippie, uh, in as much as he was a tree hugger and he shared some of the same uh, beliefs in conservation that the countercultural movement is. But socially, <laughs> socially very conservative. Yes. Part of his Catholicism, part of growing up in an era where fascism and communism uh, was the enemy. Right. So he went to war against that sort of thing in World War One, uh, and his children uh we're in world war 2 fighting against the nazis and uh and the communists well not not fighting against the communists but you know after the iron curtain went down that was you know it was us against them at that point but looking at tolkien through the prism of the 80s it's it's kind of it, it's kind of interesting because i grew up right around the same time that you did it. yep um my first experience of tolkien was the hobbit as well but it was uh an a, a, a illustrated version of the hobbit with Stills from the Rankin Bass oh, animated feature. Yeah, um, and that it was funny. My wife and I were talking about that. She has the same memory that I do. Myra's well, a little younger than I am, but her earliest memory is of the cave where the where Bilbo and the and Thorin and company are holed up in the cave in the Misty Mountains, and the floors and the walls sort of drop away, and the mm-hmm. goblins come out and snatch them. And I, right. you know, I thought, you know, reading that as a Nine, eight, 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 nine-year-old was really, kind of a really scary image.
0: Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I always say that it's. I wish that I had the imagination that I had when I was a kid because when I was a kid, and I read books. It really seemed I was able to more um, yeah. envelop myself. Yeah. So, like you're talking about things like that, like all of a sudden you're in the story, and yeah, it gets very freaky. And um, Neil Gaiman has a very interesting
1: thought on that as well Neil Gaiman the, uh, the the writer comic book writer fantastic novelist yeah he says that you can tell scary things to children that you can't tell to adults hmm yeah I'm paraphrasing but it's something along that
0: lines yeah I love Neil Gaiman yeah he, he wrote reminds. a very good Doctor Who episode by the
1: way I haven't seen it yet looking forward
0: yeah it's a good one it's uh, Matt Smith uh, called The Doctor's Wife and it's uh, it's very entertaining um so
1: this is the way our conversations usually go. Yeah, we get very... Indiscri- but
0: the, but anybody who's heard me, I've done a bunch of treks in <laughs> sci-fi and I have my own podcast. They know that um, I usually uh, have a lot of diversions and I, I usually wheel my way back.
1: So I think there's a good pedigree for Tolkien being associated with sci-fi. Not just because, again, looking through the, through the prism of the 80s where there was no... You couldn't go to a bookstore to the fantasy book section. It was all science fiction, right? right? So the Lord of the Rings would be in the science fiction section. Sure. Um, Tolkien was a fan of science fiction. He enjoyed um, reading like the pulp magazines. Um, and it, he, won, he won an award. I believe it was the World Fantasy Award. Um, and the statuette, it's one of the few awards that he actually won, right? Mm-hmm. So Lord of the Rings, one of the most influential books of all time. It, it didn't win many awards <laughs> when it comes to that sort of thing. But he won the World Fantasy Award. And the statuette is a rocket ship. He thought it was absurd. um but uh you know he had the he went to the conference accepted the the award and got to hear a lot of uh interesting folks speak he got to i believe arthur c Clarke speak oh wow yeah and uh, so he had sort of the same problems with people uh looking at his work that arthur c Clarke did so you know tolkien had the lsd taking hippies looking at the lord of the rings just like Arthur C. Clarke had the the LSD hippies looking at two thousand one. Yeah,
0: but let's face facts. That's because of the book, or because of the movie, rather. The, right. Which was yeah. that movie? If you can't, you're going to tell me that somebody didn't have drugs in mind when they made the end sequence of two thousand one. Well, I okay. mean, that it seems almost intentional. Like you, can, I feel like I got high watching it, <laughs> and I was straight. The funny thing about two thousand one, the movie, is there was no two thousand
1: one, the book. No, this was almost entirely Stanley Kubrick's vision. Um, and it was based on a short story that Arthur C. Clarke wrote that Kubrick liked. So he went to and he made the, the movie based on the short story. Which is then, called The Sentinel. But. Right, exactly correct. And then Clark went back and wrote an adaptation of the movie that became the novel 2001. And of course the, the novel spawned a couple of sequels, which are
0: really great. And only one cinematic sequel. 2010, which I, me and Rico covered on this podcast about uh, two years ago. A little bit under two years. A very underrated film, in my opinion. Oh, I agree. I said to Rico... I, I quite well, like it. I do like it. I like it a lot. I, as Roy Scheider is one of my childhood heroes, I wanted to be Roy Scheider when right. I grew up. Who didn't? Yeah, he was pretty cool. Huh. Um, Blue Thunder, Jaws. Smile, you son of a bitch. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, we were in Tolkien's biography. We were somehow, <laughs> but again, we end up in Arthur C. Clarke, and that's what happens with me. But... Also um, so let's talk about The Hobbit. I mean, since we're there, we don't have to, uh, like I said, we're not official biographers. We're just sort of using Tolkien's uh, life as a base. But let's talk about The Hobbit. Very hot. Yeah. You know, obviously, right. current, we just finished up with the third, somehow they made the third movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, you know, we can talk about maybe a little bit later. We're going to maybe have a little thoughts about the movies. I, I of course, uh, love the movies. I'm a fan. Um, yeah. So The Hobbit. Which is interesting to me. I think Tolkien. Now this is going a little bit ahead. He's probably he George Lucas, the Hobbit, didn't he? He did. changed the riddles in the dark chapter. He
1: he did. He actually there there's a the first edition of the Hobbit, if you can find one, is probably like on the uh, the par with Action Comics number one. It you know it doesn't really have it doesn't set up the Lord of the Rings like the version of the Hobbit you'll read today, right? right. Um, George R R Martin recently donated one one of his first editions of The Hobbit to uh, a charity, I believe, or a library or something. Um, But yeah, no, Tolkien um, actually, in writing the sequel, the new Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, decided that he needed to give um, Gollum and Bilbo's interaction a little more um, significance. It needed to inform the events that would later come. Right. Um, And that that happened in a later edition, later printing of The Hobbit, right? Right. Um, And... You know, there's a an introduction in the Lord of the Rings where Tolkien says the story grew in the telling, and he's not wrong, um, because not just the Lord of the Rings, because he's he's referring to the Lord of the Rings, but Tolkien had already started his larger legendarium. Right in 1917, he st- started upon the myths and legends that would eventually expand into Silmarillion, which is essentially the the recounting of the history of the 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 elder days of the. The, uh, the elves um, and uh, primarily the, of the first age of what – if you read in the appendices of Lord of the Rings, right? it's, it's mainly the, the, the first age. Um, but he was always in the process of creating that. He never got it to a point where he felt it was ready for publication. So he was sort of in the midst of that in The Hobbit. And at the time he wrote The Hobbit, he didn't connect the two. They weren't in the same universe. Hmm. Um, the Hobbit was a fairy story essentially that had no connection to his larger mythology that he was building. Now, when he embarked upon the sequel, The New Hobbit, which would later be called The Lord of the Rings, he decided that there were all – he wanted to uh, create open these windows into a larger history, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that larger history being the legends of the first age, the elder days, the, the, the Silmarillion era. Um, and he decided that, obviously, necessarily because he was building on The Hobbit, that he
0: had to go back and make those connections.
1: So he, George Lucas did.
0: Yep. So any of you guys that sit there and say that George Lucas is the only guy in history. No. Tolkien um Lucas wanting too. wanting to yeah. Want, Tolkien wanted his stories to be connected. Yeah. And um he he wanted there to he wanted to plant some seeds uh for Lord of the Rings in the Hobbit so that uh readers yeah. would uh would pick that up. And when, if you were going back, especially if you go back you do see those connections. Um but like you were gonna say, Lucas Heavily influenced, heavily influenced by the Lord of the Rings, you know, and Frank Herbert, um, sure, which I feel is the token of sci-fi. Agreed. Um, I, fr- I don't know how it's possible that he should be underrated, but
1: I, I, I think he is.
0: I think he's underrated. He, he doesn't get the, the nowadays. Connection. He is, Yeah. and I think that comes from his um, uh, Dune being a uh, sort of a failure as a movie. Yeah. Um, if he had a better adaptation, he probably would be better. Yeah. I mean, look at Lord, like Lord of the Rings. I mean. Before the movie came out, I was excited Hmm. when I saw that they are making Lord of the Rings. I'm like, why are they starting Lord of the Rings? But, you know, they're making Lord of the Rings. And I hadn't read it at that point in many years. So I was excited to revisit it. Um, And then, of course, Fellowship of the Ring came out. It's huge. Not only is it a hit among the fans, because, as I've said on this podcast, Fellowship of the Ring is my personal favorite. Mine too. Because I, I think it was closest to the book. Of the three, yeah, at least I, I in tone. So. Yeah. I think that it was, um because it was before the success so much, it was sort of like the, the feeling, you know, it was a little bit more, seemed a little bit more grounded in reality. Fellowship of the Ring yeah. it didn't get so crazy. Of course, that's just the books, too. And the books starts off very simply in the Shire, and then, of course, it goes into the larger world. There's just so many great set pieces there in really, the There of the really game. is. So, you know, that movie met fan expectations. It got into the... um Public consciousness; it became mm-hmm. pop culture, you know. Yeah. And of course, Lord of the Rings. You know, people who, like you're saying earlier, the six people in the '60s who read Lord of the Rings. My uncle, who introduced me to Dune, also was a big Lord of the Rings fan. Um, and he was a hippie, yeah. who probably had been known to, you know, sample some pipe weed. Um, <laughs> so, you know, those people went to see Lord of the Rings, and those and then and kids. It became this huge success. So Tolkien, I think nowadays gets maybe is a little bit more expanded maybe and in Herbert if Dune had been but when you read Dune it's a very difficult story um it's one of my it's my favorite
1: it's a challenging story it's my
0: favorite book you're not gonna like Paul Atreides no necessarily you don't like him he's not no there's as a matter of fact it's hard to find likable characters in Dune yeah Okay, you don't have a Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. Bill, Paul Atreides does some real, you know, dickish things to people that he loves yeah. because of the greater responsibility. But isn't that better writing? I think so, and I love Dune. I can every time I reread it, I've, I get something new from it. Um, same thing with Lord of the Rings. Now, when I go through and reread Lord of the Rings again, I always come away with something that I didn't have before, and I think that that's so. I I, I think Herbert. Should be well regarded. I think his his Dune books t- took uh, concepts to these weird places that uh, I, I don't think anybody would do nowadays. And I, I think Tolkien and him are sort of two sides of the same coin. At least you hit me.
1: on a, a a pretty significant aspect of Tolkien criticism. Where I mean, if you compare you know character work in Tolkien, they're most characters are actually pretty flat right tolkien. now i, I want to preface this comment by saying um there is nothing that stands above my love in literature literature wise than uh the works of the, the, the of tolkien um but when you compare him to the character work that say frank herbert did it's head and shoulders uh, above so yeah, of course Tolkien wasn't concerned with characterization herbert was uh, tolkien was concerned with other themes like his
0: bigger picture his yeah. world that he created yeah. Um, I mean, I mean you, Tolkien
1: you, elevates where Herbert gets you in the mud with the character. Oh, yeah.
0: Now, I mean, you can't... I mean, obviously Bilbo and Frodo, these are likable characters. Sam. Yeah. But the heroic characters, you're right. A little bit like one, no. Aragorn is Aragorn. Legolas is Legolas. Gimli's Gimli. You don't really get, you know... Which I think, when we talk about the movies, I think that's somewhere where the movies maybe um, succeeded where the book didn't. Where you kind of get... Yeah, a little bit more empathetic with the characters.
1: I think maybe we have to make a distinction between a storyteller and a novelist, right? Right. So maybe Tolkien is a much
0: greater storyteller than yes. he is a novelist. It's, I mean, story wise, The Hobbit very satisfying story. Um, Lord of the Rings very satisfying story. You know, I mean, where you where you when you finish, you know, when people talk about endings are always terrible, right? Yeah. Stephen King, notoriously, I'm Stephen King, my favorite author. Okay, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. I'm a, I am read every book of his still to this day.
1: How'd you like the end of The Dark
0: Tower? Okay, that's where I was going. Dark Tower is an amazing series. It's weird. It, it obviously has Tolkien influences in there. He mentions Tolkien many times, and it's got sci-fi. It's got his own books or yeah. used. He uses The Dark Tower to sort of encompass his whole writing career almost. Like, he even puts himself... Now, people, some people said putting himself in The Dark Tower was... A conceit, maybe it was, but I found it to be really interesting because he had he used it to sort of help him work through his injury, you know, to sort of see if he could change the past, which is in that book. I don't want to give it away, but he saves himself from getting hit with that van. Stephen
1: King can get away with
0: it. Yes, he can. The ending, very unsatisfying. So when you get to the end of the Dark Tower, I don't want work. I'm going to actually cover this, I think, eventually with Joby, uh, my friend, on this show. We're not going to get, I'm not going to get into that, but the ending of the Dark Tower, it just, very unsatisfying. Yeah. Very, it doesn't, there's there's no resolution. Yeah. I mean, there is for some characters, yeah. but not for for for, so, for what I was looking for. Story resolution, it just kind of ends. Um, Tolkien, Great endings, okay. The Hobbit—it's
1: all ending, right? The Hobbit Someone was all was most centrally concerned with endings.
0: At the end of the Hobbit, Bilbo's back where he should be, but he's changed. He's grown from the the jerk he was sort of in the beginning. He very prissy dude who's concerned with doilies and things like that, right? And I mean, what does he say? Uh, Gandalf says, "You know, when did this happen? When are you more worried about yeah. your mother's doilies? And your mother wouldn't have even cared about her doilies. She's a Bilbo's toque. mother was a Took." Right, um, and at the end, he comes back, and you know his crap is getting sold off, and yeah. he kind of has. I, it's, I I find the ending of the Hobbit very satisfying, even though again it is a, sort of a children's book. Same thing with Lord of the Rings. The Lord of the Rings. Now we're not talking about the movies; we're talking about the books. Yeah. When the Lord of the Rings ends, you know you take these meek characters, hobbits, Frodo, not so meek, but you know, not really looking to get into trouble. Um, comes back after this adventure that he's had, and he, he finds his Home has yeah. been invaded Rashed. and destroyed by Saruman. Now, if you've not read the books, you're like, Spoiler alert. Hello, Saruman died in, at Isengard. No. No. him and, uh, As a matter of fact, there's a, they they, they passed them on the road at some point. Him and Wormtongue. Yeah. And, you know, because of their experiences in the War of the Ring, they are able to act and save their home. Yeah. Um... Um, so in the, in the, in the books, the war, the war of the ring. Does, Very
1: controversial, um, deletion. Well, not deletion, but, uh, it's, deletion, I, I can, I can understand why Peter Jackson charm. wouldn't even go there um, because you, it's, you, it's, it's so it won't
0: work in a film. Yeah. Although one can argue that he did have about 20 minutes of endings that maybe we could have worked something out. <laughs> I thought you needed all of those endings in the Lord of See, the See, and I agree with you. I, I'm, a, I'm a weird guy. I like character moments. Yeah. I like. I needed them. I didn't need it at four in the morning. I was at a midnight show, so my, Patience was limited. <laughs> um, but in the book, it's a different, completely different ending. I mean, that little... All right, I'm not saying it's completely different. It still ends where it ends. This, this The last line of the movie is the last line of the novel. Yeah. While I'm, I'm back. Yeah. Um, there's just a section called The Scouring of the Shire, which is a really cool chapter. Yeah. Um, where we do see the end of Saruman and, yeah. and um, Grima, yeah. Grima Wormtongue. Yeah. Um, so I think that he kind of seem to have that in mind like where he wanted to go seemed to be on his mind because he brought the characters which you say are kind of flat but Bilbo or Bilbo frodo mm-hmm. are heroes or which are unlikely they have growth and they come they come back and they use their experiences to yeah. um their advantage and yeah. and uh, you see their growth i mean at least that's how i feel about it um but i, I do understand where where you what you say about the flat characters because for the most so part
1: frodo is very is, is well developed? I
0: oh, absolutely, think, think and Fro- Sam,
1: Fro- and Sam. I think Tol- Tolkien actually regarded Sam as the protagonist of the Lord of the Rings. It's not Frodo. He actually thought Sam was the hero of the,
0: now, of the book. And and Sam is sort of like an officer's, a Batman, a Batman, right? Yeah. That's what they called them, and yeah. that's the role. Like, which I think a lot of people who see the movies don't really understand what what that role is. Yeah. Like he's very subservient. He calls him Mr. Frodo. Yeah. yeah. Because he is Frodo so, is a Yeah. He's like sort of I don't um, know how respectable. He's like a, a he, lent- not gentry. nobility. He's like a he's like a gent he's like gentrified.
1: Yeah. So and watch, stands a gardener. If you watch Downton Abbey,
0: right? Which I love.
1: Everybody watches Downton Abbey, right? Yeah. So imagine those guys uh in Middle earth. Yeah. Uh, imagine Lord Robert going off with one of his under
0: butlers or valets or something. I, mean, I would pay. I would pay to a see a movie <laughs> where uh, Lord Grantham, yeah, and Carson. and Bates, oh, Bates,
1: yeah, Bates
0: are somehow transported to a fantasy situation. Yeah. Or and then you know yeah definitely this is a fan fiction dream. Right oh, my, I'm getting there. You know, and like you know. Uh, you know, somehow you know uh, Barrow is like the like dark to darkness, sir, have get Barrow and he's on their side. You know, because he's always causing trouble. If they haven't watched *Downton Abbey*, I'm sorry, but uh, this is brilliant. We
1: should, <laughs> this, this should be like a parody stage
0: play. <laughs> My wife and I we watch *Downton Abbey*. Um, we don't listen. You can get the box set. You can download it. You can do all this stuff. I like to watch it on PBS yeah. when we get it week by week. It's yeah. to me more satisfying. And we Downton Abbey, the house where whispers are, are heard across halls. Yeah. And, um, th- I love the show, but you're right. You see, there, so if you watch Downton Abbey, you can actually kind of get a sense of the England that Tolkien yeah. lived in, right? Which yeah. it's, it's set in the country. At least in
1: the first couple of seasons. At yes. least, the, yeah,
0: but I mean, the first couple of, we you know, that's the whole, the whole theme of Downton Abbey is the world is changing. It's, right. you know, your time is yes. going away. We're in the modern era yes, is coming. exactly out. the same, right? And Tolkien did not like that.
1: Well, he, did not he like... wasn't
0: a fan of industrialization. So, you are talking about Downton Abbey. You're talking yeah. about the, I was thinking of the scene where Lord Robert is looking at where his land... Yeah. Wanted, they were wanting to sell it to keep the yeah. financial for finances of the family. And he's like, "Oh, right. I don't want this. Ugly buildings, right. right? And I just thought... I For some reason, I thought Tolkien, how he did not like the, the country being yeah. made way for... Yeah, you
1: know, I think... Uh, y- Tolkien would be the the, con- the conservationist uh, today. He would probably be on the board of Greenpeace and giving his money to charities like that, right? Right. Um, but it's a mistake to think of him as um, someone of Lord Robert's ilk because he no. was yes. he was a respectable gentleman and a, and you know he was a, an He's academic, a scholar, yeah. an academic, right? But um, he always had a lot like. In his autobi or his, uh, official biography by Humphrey Carpenter, um, it tells of how much respect Tolkien had for the 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 average soldier, the Tommy, right? The, mm-hmm. And just in there was he was an officer, so he was supposed to maintain this distance between the um you know the those folks and and he just you couldn't the press of the war threw you together, and you know oftentimes he I think the he mentioned that. Uh, the worst thing that you could ever have is somebody trying to be um, uh, a supervisor or a boss of you. He said, "One man in a million has the temperament for it, and never the people that seek it out." <laughs> and that's also reflected. In I, book.
0: I and I have actually said that um, in my personal life a lot. Yeah, I've yeah. worked with. We've I've all heard worked. You say that. Yeah, you've heard me say it. I work with people. I've worked with people who want. I, I understand people who want to advance in, in their career, and that that's admirable. Yeah. I mean, because you don't want to be a stag, you don't want to be the guy that does the same thing for thirty years and you and you retire, you never really did anything. I understand that, but the people who want to be in supervisory positions who want that. I've I've been a supervisory position since I was twenty years old. Never wanted it. Um was good at it, still am good at it. I'm I'm in, you know, middle management, which, you know, is is fine. Never really asked for it. And that's how, it, I think that the, those, you can, that's but when you have, it's Frodo like, Frodo too, isn't right. it? Tolkien? Yeah. He, Frodo never asked for what was thrown on right. him. So when you have people that want to be cops, yeah. you got to worry about that guy. Yeah. When somebody says, I want to be a cop. Or I want to be president. I want to be, pre-, it's like, why <laughs> would you, you know. He's so dedicated to public service. You know, why would you want, like, I can never figure out why anybody wants to be president. I mean, Obama, he's got, he looks, he looks got a white, almost a white head of hair. He looks like he's aged Thirty years. He in the looks. Last six I mean, years. you know, he's handsome, but he looks definitely looks older. Yeah. I mean, um, responsibility weighs on people, and I, I do like, like the said, ring. Like the ring, which Frodo took not because he wanted to, but because it had to be done, right? Because it was impressed on him that he was the only one. We talk about
1: before you mentioned endings and good Tolkien wasn't right. endings, and he's also good at defeats, right? Because right. ultimately, the ring defeats Frodo. Sure does. So. um the it's not so much that Frodo gets to the crack of doom and throws the ring in. To, uh, when he gets to the crack of doom, the the ring overmasters him. The only reason it it's destroyed is through this happy accident. Right. Um, and it's not really an accident. It's actually um, like this, um, uh, it, this a situation that the ring itself created. Mm-hmm. It created this uh, this character in Gollum who lusted for the ring and it created this character in Frodo who also lusted for the ring and in their conflict, of course, that was the source of the ring's now, destruction. of course, you know,
0: the difference between the two, Frodo has a, a, a eminently good nature and Smeagol was not a nice guy. But in the end, what did it matter? They were both slaves to the ring. It didn't matter, but I think that that Mattered in in you know how Frodo was able to survive as long as he did without saying oh screw it I'm just gonna take this ring and go yeah. creep around and do my own thing yeah it helped him get what he needed to get done even yeah. though like the whole time was weighing on whereas Gollum you know it's like yeah I got this ring now I'm gonna go eat some babies and <laughs> which they <laughs> accused him of doing yeah um um but yeah you're right at the end which it's very Star Warsy because as I say in Star Wars nobody nothing happens but by accident right. Yeah, you know, especially in the prequels.
1: Yeah, it
0: only, people. Everything happens by accident. It's like at the especially. A this Phantom, is apropos of something completely different, yeah. but I really think the prequels need to be rewritten. Not uh,
1: re. We've we've, we've we've special effects. They're just they, there's too many yeah. discrepancies. Nothing matches up. They need to throw right. away those prequels and redo them.
0: Again, I've I've talked on this show. JJ, get on yeah, it. Yeah, and talked on this show about my feeling about the prequels is that. Um, I understand that Star Wars prequels were not written for me. They're written for my children who don't mind them. Your children are smarter than that. They'll appreciate it if it's done right. All right. Listen, I understand that because my children are for the most, you know, on the average are smart. Um, I have four. So, you know, it works out, but, um, you're a very prolific father. That's right. Um, episode one, everything happens by accident. The ship gets destroyed by accident. Uh, or is it fate? Darth Maul gets killed pretty much because he's stupid and it's an accident. The duel of the fates. Yeah, alright. But I agree, and I've said <laughs> on this show that that if you're gonna make the prequels, uh that I feel that the age they started, Anakin at Too Young, just listen. Star Wars we never needed and just like you do we want too young. Oh we too we never needed um unnecessary exposition exposition in Star Wars, right? Episode four starts there's this Clone Wars. What's that? Doesn't matter. It was a war. Gives you a sense of the larger universe. Okay? There's an empire. The emperor is mentioned. Who's he? Don't care. Yeah. He's the emperor. Right. Okay? The unnecessary exposition of Anakin being a slave and all this stuff. Or you have half a movie of him being a slave and not being a slave. And blah, 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 having a race, which is a very cool scene. Yeah. Pod race, Awesome. Does not really... When you actually factor it all in, and as episode one as a movie, taking away the Jar Jar complaints, which... Whatever, it is what it is. It just doesn't really need to be there because all that stuff can be in an exposition between Anakin. You start Anakin off as a as a teenager or as a somebody in his early twenties. As a, as a fully better. formed character. You already yeah. start Anakin off as a guy.
1: Yeah. The right? drama works better.
0: The drama's fine. And then you can still do these beats, but then you'd have three movies to have him
1: become
0: yeah. Darth Vader. Yeah. Now we have two movies to have him become Darth Vader, and as a result, It's very compressed and it feels unnatural. Like when he goes from being Anakin to Darth Vader, it's a scene where he cuts off Mace Windu's hand and then the Emperor uh, overacts him out a window. And then um, he's Darth Vader because he wants his wife to not die. Yeah, but... The journey from Anakin, who at the beginning of the movie heroic character saving, uh, you know the, the Chancellor, and you know he's he's a, he's a hero. You he can watch the Clone Wars; he's a hero. Yeah. So he goes in this one scene from being a hero to the very next scene that he's in, this ch- killing small children with a lightsaber. It's a pretty big leap, right? So now you you've dramatically yeah. it just doesn't work. Hey, he looked like he felt really bad about it. Oh, sure, he did. and he started getting red. So eyes. on Star Wars, but yeah. Um. I don't know how we got there. So anyway, <laughs> we were talking about Lord of the Rings, we we're talking about Tolkien. Yeah, yeah. I know that I had a plan, we're way off it and that's, that's fine. Right. So, um since we're here and yeah. we've been talking for about uh, almost an hour, um I would like to sort of there's so much There is so to much. I mean, I mean, we can talk about the
1: Silmarillion for
0: Right, know. and the Silmarillion came out long after his death.
1: The, the interesting thing about the Silmarillion is what we got may not have been what Tolkien, if he had lived longer to, to publish, would have published. Mm. Um, because obviously the um, uh, w- what happened there, of course, is that uh, Tolkien really stopped working on uh, that stuff in the last couple of years because he was... I mean, he, the last thing he worked on was probably a couple of months before he died. He died in, I, I believe it was August or September of 1973. And... He um, he was in his 80s, his early 80s, and he had lost his wife. He was not well. Um, he was living on his own. He was very lonely. Um, and his ambition had sort of uh, damped down, right? Um, the last thing he wrote was an essay about Galadriel and Celeborn. And... And that's kind of where, you know, I mentioned before Tolkien's um, theory of, the you know, fighting the long defeat, Galadriel and Celeborn. I think Galadriel says it in Fellowship of the Ring that she and Celeborn have fought the long defeat down throughout the ages. Uh, and that, you know, primarily refers to uh, the struggle against the, you know, the darkness starting with, you know, Morgoth's war against the elves and, you know, later in the Second and the Third Age against Sauron. Um, but... All of these various snippets and fragments and stories and poems and lays and, um, that relate to his legendary of the first age. He had them in uh, you know, handwritten, typed, uh, paper that had been written and then turned sideways and then written over in the other direction. <laughs> Tolkien's handwriting was not the most legible. Um, in boxes in one house or in a different apartment... Um, scattered, through, you know, in a couple of different spaces and places. His ultimate intentions were not well known, but if anyone could be said to know what they were, of course, it is Christopher Tolkien, his his youngest son, his literary executor, um, and the you know the head of the Tolkien estate. And is he still alive? He's ninety one, almost ninety one, wow. and he is still alive. Hmm. And he you can say a lot about Christopher Tolkien, especially when it comes to how he relates to. Tolkien's legacy uh, literary legacy um, and then his large Tolkien's larger cultural legacy which um, is equal parts the books and the movies right? The cultural legacy. Sure. Um, But I think we have to really give him all the credit in the world for you know um, bringing the Lord of the Rings uh, that much into, um, into crystal clear focus because the world was clamoring for the Silmarillion, right? And mm-hmm. you get glimpses of the Silmarillion throughout the, the text of The Lord of the Rings and, of course, a little bit deeper into the Appendices sure. of The Return of the King. Which
0: are a really awesome part of the book if you haven't read them.
1: <laughs> they, you know, we were talking earlier about the Millennium Edition of The yeah. Lord of the Rings that I, I have. It's a great box set and it's divided into – when Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings – okay, we got to backtrack a little bit, right? So when Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, he never thought about it in terms of it being a trilogy, right? It was – One story. It was one. It's actually one novel, right? It's right. one book, and it was made a trilogy. It was a publishing decision because it was too expensive to print it. As and one plus,
0: book. you know, it's hard to. I think back then, it, what 12, 1,400 pages? Yeah, fourteen hundred pages is kind of right. You know, yeah. George George. It's like the regular size of a George R. R. Martin
1: book today, but back then it was and not really. Lord of
0: the Rings, and George R. R. Martin books read very differently. Very different. George R. R. Martin's page turner, Lord of the Rings, yeah. you have to sort of absorb.
1: You can spend a lot of time on one, one page. page. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, Tolkien divided his um, his story into six books, right? The you know the Fellowship thing has two books, Two Towers, Two Return of the King is two. Um, the Millennium Edition um, has a, a, a last hardcover, which is primarily just the appendices, and it's a lot of fun. It's kind of like a like a, just like a Tolkien encyclopedia. You get all sorts of like family trees and tables <laughs> of uh, runes and the Angerthos and the Curth. The and the Tengwar, which are the alphabets and the runes of Middle Earth, you get um, uh, some backstory about the uh, um, the quest of Erebor. You get uh, you get some some cool stuff about Aragorn and Arwen.
0: Yeah, the um, after after uh, the end of the Return of the King, you get to sort of you get a little ha- bit of an what's epilogue. the
1: ever after, right? I mean, what what happens to Aragorn and, and, and basically
0: Arwen. you know what you see in the movie in a short form, which yeah. which is uh, what happens. Yeah, in the movie, it's like you see this little bit where, uh, Elrond is telling, um, uh, Arwen what her future's going to be, basically. Yeah. And that's sort of what the appendices in a short, in a longer form tells. Right. That Arwen, you know, she kind of wanders the woods and after Aragorn deci- by the way, Aragorn doesn't die, he just, he just decides, yeah, it's time to die. Like the old, uh, kings of Westerness, the,
1: the men of Numenor, they would, uh, they had a a longer lifespan was given to them and they were allowed to have vitality all the way up until when they decided their life was at an end. And then they would just lay down and their, their life would leave them. Um, And the, um, so the the vision that Elrond gives Arwen is actually what's, what comes to pass. Um, uh, Aragorn, who later of course became, you know, king of the reunited kingdom of Gondor and Arnor. Uh, decided that after living so long, uh, he was he was done with life. He was going to leave the crown to his son, whose name was Eldarion, and um, he and that was it. He, he was he was done with uh, with the mortal life that he was given. Uh, and Arwen, of course, still had that youthful elven vitality. Now she didn't have that option of going over the sea as her father had. Why and, is that? I know, I'm not clear on that. Um, so Arwen's a special case, actually, because of she, she's in a special family, right? So Elrond's family is the, it's the half-elven, right? Right. Um, now, the, it kind of goes back to Tolkien's original conception of elves being the, um, the, the children of Middle-earth, the children of Ilúvatar, who was the, 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 the high deity, the god of Tolkien's mythos. Um, and that they are bound to the circles of the world, which means their fate is ultimately wrapped up with Aman, which is the name of the the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's the conception of heaven and earth. Um, and so when they, uh, they were given life, they, they were not made to die. Uh, they could be killed. Um, but that just meant their mortal body was killed or destroyed, and their spirit resided back in the halls of Mandos, which is in Valinor over the sea, um, in the holy land of Amon. Arda is the world. I'm sorry. I think I misspoke. I said Amon was the world. Oh, Ar- Arda is the world. <laughs> uh, Amon is the other place. That's where the Valinor is, where the, huh. the Valar live. Um, and in, in the early times that, uh, you could actually take a ship or you could walk. Some of the elves actually walked from Amon in Valinor. Uh, over the, a sea of grinding ice Called the Helkaraxi. They walked across it into Middle-earth Into Beleriand Which doesn't exist in the, the time frame Of the Lord of the Rings Because it was wrecked, it was ruined um, But the the elves um, Their spirits would kind of go back To the halls of Mandos so It's like a video game where you die And you kind of go back and you have to kind of reset <laughs> and Get an extra life, right? Um, and there's a character in the Lord of the Rings that actually this happens to. And he shows that he's in the Silmarillion and he shows up in Lord of the Rings as well. We'll get back to him in a second. Um, but. <laughs> is many, that what
0: happened to Gandalf?
1: Yeah, sort of. But Gandalf isn't immortal. Gandalf is sort of like an angelic creature. The Maiar. is the, Yeah, he is one of the Maiar. He is of kin to the Valar, of a lesser stature. Okay. Um, but the, the elves are, are tied to the world like the Maiar are, and the Valar are not. Um, now the gift that was given to mortal men was that they, they was mortality. The gift that was given to men is mortality. They die.
0: Great so, present.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, well, and, and Tolkien is never explicit as to why it is a gift, right? Um, but it's mm-hmm. ultimately the plan is only known to Iluvatar, Iru, the One, the, the 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 God who created. Uh, Ea, which is the creation Ea is the creation right mm-hmm. um and aragorn when he laid down um and gave up his his life is stopped living he ultimately fulfilled this gift that Iluvatar gives gifts to men now um arwen being of the half elven family of elrond also has this gift she's no i mean she had a longer life because she is you know, elven uh, she was born an elf so of course she um she uh, doesn't. She didn't get the option to go back, uh, like her um, her father sailed across the sea, um, and um, Legolas and Ghibli sailed across the sea as well, uh, much uh, in a different context. But um, so when Arwen, when she lost Aragorn, she went away. She dwelt for a while in uh, Lothlorien and Lorien, which had been at this point abandoned, hmm. uh, and it was an empty land. Um, and she, I think the line is that she lay down and died on the hill of Karen Amroth. Um, and there's a lot of uh, parallels between Aragorn and Arwen to Baron and Luthien, which is the central, sort of the central story in the histories of the First Age in the, the, in, in the Silmarillion. Um, and um, the, the what's interesting about that is that Luthien was, an, was a, Daughter of an Elven king named Thingol, and um, her mother was a Maiar named Amaya, named M- Melian. Um, so she was; she kind of had that Elfin and immortal heritage, angelic heritage. Um, and uh, when uh, Luthien fell in love with baron uh, who was a mortal man, and they mingled their bloodline Um, their their children their son was Dior who later became um, Thingol's heir and there was some strife with the dwarves and that uh, that didn't turn out well and his daughter Dior's daughter um, married um, Tor who was a a mortal man and they had Earendel who was the mariner who would later ultimately uh, go back from uh and Middle Earth back to Valinor and bring the hosts of the Valar to ultimately throw down Morgoth. Um and Aarindel had um the two sons, and the two sons that Aarindel had were uh Elrond and Elros, and because they're from this half Elven, half Maiar, half man, I know that's three halves, but the <laughs> mixture of all of these strains in Middle-earth, they were given the choice as to whether or not they could dwell within the bounds of, of uh, Middle-earth and, and have this elvish heritage, or if they were given this gift of mortality that was uh, Iluvator's gift to man. I see. So, and that's... Okay. And so. Ultimately, Aragorn and Arwen are actually cousins, because Aragorn is descend, descended of Elros, right. who went off and became the, you know, founded the, the men of westerness of Numenor, and Arwen, of course, is the daughter of Elron, who went off and be, you know, was the, uh, one of the leaders of the House of Elves,
0: hmm. Middle-earth.
1: So, we were talking about one of the characters that, in, uh, that's, uh, in Middle-earth, in, um, in the Lord of the Rings, rather, that was also in the Silmarillion. And it's a very minor character. He appears only... I think
0: I know. Yeah?
1: Glorfindel. That's right. <laughs> Glorfindel. He is a uh, character that appears very briefly in a couple of chapters in The Lord of the Rings. He's, right. He, he, he uh, rescues uh, Frodo um, when he's, after he's... Wait a minute. Scout. I thought
0: that was Liv Tyler. Well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so, so changed the movie, obviously, for yeah. you know, dramatic That reasons. was, our, you know, I remember people complaining Yeah, that oh, we should have been Glorfindel. But then when you realize it's a minor character... He actually doesn't really add much to right. the the plot. It's, so it doesn't change anything to create So an there it. was a Glorfindel in the Silmarillion.
1: There was. Uh, Glorfindel was a lord of the city of Gondolin who fought and slew a balrog. Um and he he died in that battle. Pretty badass. It is pretty badass. Um and, and you know there's a lot, you know, you can talk about when it comes to like the the legends of the elder days of Middle-earth. Um and the uh the balrog and Glorfindel it was one of the earlier stories. That was told. <laughs> and Glorfindel was just one of those names that Tolkien really liked. He liked it, right? So when he was writing The New Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, he, um, he uh, picked that name from his legendarium. And he said, oh, Glorfindel, that's kind of a cool name. I'm going to use this in Fellowship of the Ring. And it turned out as he was working through um, the, uh, the Silmarillion, trying to pre- prepare the Silmarillion for publication... He decided that the character in the first stage is actually the same character who lived in the house of Elrond um and it kind of helps cement it what happens to to elves when their body dies and they were given the ability to come back and you brought it up how the same thing happens to Gandalf. Right. Um Gandalf died in the battle with the Balrog in in Moria, right? He mm-hmm. had that epic fight with um Durin's Bane and he you know fell down and and he uh he and the Balrog um, fought each other to the death. And he was sent back, and uh, he was reclothed, it was said, and wound up sort of wandering in uh, back in Middle Earth without any real conception of what was going on. Wound up in Lorien uh, uh, just a day after the fellowship had left. Uh, so they just sort of missed each other. And uh, Galadriel gave him his
0: new white robes and his new mission. Huh. So that was pretty uh, active time there in uh, yeah. in Florian. Uh, La- yeah. But oh, this is
1: <laughs> also the gene we were talking about Christopher Tolkien and Christopher being the guardian of Tolkien's legacy, literally speaking or literary his literary legacy and his cultural legacy being like two sort of separate things. And um it, you know Tolkien died in 73, right? Um and of course we've had more Posthumous publications than he ever published during his lifetime, because of this wealth of material that he he left behind that was compiled and made publishable by um, by Christopher, and we get all of this matter of the elder days that was published in the Silmarillion and unfinished tales. Um, th- those are the two primary books, right? If you if you're gonna read only a a few things. If you're not going to go and dig into all of the yeah. the stuff of Middle Earth, you're going to want to read The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, The Silmarillion, and Unfinished Tales. Yeah, if Unfinished Tales read, is great. If you don't read anything else, just do those, and you've got pretty much everything you need. To I do love Middle Unfinished Earth. Tales. There's a, the little the extra stuff in there is yeah. just a lot of fun. Yeah, a, a favorite of mine that just came out with the, the Children of Húrin. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to that. With fantastic and on audio with. Christopher Lee. The Christopher Lee narration is epic. He should win awards for
0: that. <clears throat> yeah, I bring up Christopher Lee a lot when I want to talk about Lord of the Rings. Well, obviously he played uh, Saruman, but yeah, uh, best Christopher Lee. If you um, are bored and you want to listen to like the commentary that the, on the commentary tracks on the Lord of the Rings extended editions, there's Peter Jackson. There's also one with like the VFX and behind the scenes, yeah. and then there's one with the actors. Now the best one. This is the one with the actors, because they have the best stories. This yeah. is the funniest. Yeah. Um, Christopher Lee, whenever you hear him, it's usually him telling you, no, not a lot of people knew this, but this is not actually this. And he can, he comes on with some, like you, yeah. he's like you. He has your breadth of knowledge about Tolkien, uh, at least his works. He is the only member of the cast and crew that actually met Right, yeah. so he's he was sort of he's sort of very knowledgeable about the actual. Yeah, he can say the words properly, yeah. um, and when you listen to that audiobook, it's very well done. Anyway, that's a little bit of a digression. quick anecdote. Um, somebody might know this
1: if they've watched the commentary tracks, but there's a a part. Um, it's not in the books. It's it's in the movies only. Where at the top of Orthanc, um, Grima stabs Saruman and kills him. Right. Now, of course. That happens later in the in the books, and it, spoiler right. alert, it's... We, we already talked about yeah, it. <laughs> it's very to right? right. Um, but uh, Peter Jackson was trying to give direction to Christopher Lee, telling him, you know, this is how you have to react after you get stabbed in the back. Right. And Christopher Lee turns to Peter Jackson and says something along the lines of, Peter, do you know what it sounds like when somebody gets stabbed in the back? And Peter says, you know, no, I, I don't. I've never heard anybody get stabbed in the back. And Christopher Lee said, well, I do. So let me handle this. Yeah, because he was uh, like a special agent, right? He, he was a, a SAS yeah. during World War II. He went on missions that are classified now that he can't even talk about.
0: Yeah, He's, he's also a, an opera singer. Yeah, and heavy metal.
1: And a son of a Italian countess. And he was Dracula. And he's been in more
0: movies than anybody else. More than anybody. Pretty much. I think he's got the, like, the Guinness record. Yeah. He's um, crazy old, too, right now. He's, he's very old. But he's he just the heavy metal... With, with, with ceremonies. He just put out a Christmas album. Yeah. Heavy metal Come, Christmas album. They told me. <laughs> Yeah, pretty good. It's going on my Amazon wish list. Yeah. I, I looked to listen to some of it on YouTube. Um so let's see, we've been talking for a little bit over an hour. So let me finish my point. I'm yeah, sorry. But going, making... No, no, I was going to go on to something else, but yeah, I forgot you were, you, were, you were coming to something. I was making a point about
1: Christopher Tolkien being the guardian of Tolkien's <laughs> le- legacy. So in, in one respect, it's created this um, very serious scholarship around a work that Tolkien himself would recognize as seriously scholastic. Right. Um, and there's a school of Tolkien fandom that primarily focus on, focuses on... Um, you know, that, that aspect, right? The pho- the philology, the, um, the historical aspect, the literary aspect, um, that really views, it's like, you know, like the fans that regard Sherlock Holmes, for instance, as a real man who really lived, they write biographies hmm. of Sherlock Holmes. So that's, that's this aspect of fandom for Middle Earth, that it was something that we can uncover the more we get these unpublished documents that Christopher Tolkien comes out every, you know, every couple of years, right? Um, now the other side of the fandom, of course, is this cultural legacy that Christopher tries to control, but it's sort of out of his hands because, in the late '60s, Tolkien sold the movie rights to the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings for nothing, for well, practically nothing. Like right? what, fourteen, fifteen thousand. Or... It was enough to buy a summer cottage. Yeah, it wasn't a lot of money. Right. I remember that. But it, and it's also kind of a romantic reason why he did it because you know his wife wasn't in the best of health and. She had sacrificed a lot for him and his career in raising their family. He wanted to give her last years... He wanted to, He wanted her to live the life she wanted in her failing years, right? Right. Um, so that gave him comfort and security. And I
0: feel like his feeling was they're probably never going to make a movie. Well, there were talks. There,
1: uh, yeah, there, there were talks about a movie coming. He was terrified because the
0: Beatles had actually made oh, a serious Oh, that's right. Video. I heard about the Beatles... Yeah. Um, that yeah. would have been weird.
1: It, can you imagine John Lennon as Gollum? No. George that's... Harrison as Gandalf. And Ringo as uh, Samwise. And, of course, Paul was Frodo. Paul was Frodo. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but and there were some other serious bids. John Borman tried to make it. I later wanted to make Excalibur. Oh, right.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite fantasy movies. Uh, great
1: movie. Easy, but great. I mean, there's Tolkien uh, connections there, too. Of course, just recently... Uh, Christopher Tolkien came out with um, uh, J.R. Tolkien's version of the Fall of Arthur, which is a poem that Tolkien started and abandoned um, in the forties, right, uh, or the thirties actually. I think even um, so. So we're talking about the, the the cultural legacy that Christopher Tolkien is sort of fighting against, and it's again it's this concept of a long defeat. Um, so Christopher Tolkien doesn't want. Lord of the Rings to show up on pinball machines in Las Vegas, right? He wants the fandom to kind of concentrate on this more literary side, this more philological side. Um, and it's going to eventually get out of yeah. his, his control, because right now he's the executor of the estate, but the man's 90 years old. Um, maybe the next literary executor is going to have the same feelings as Christopher Tolkien, or maybe the billion, or the four billion, six billion dollars that the movies have made might cons- convince them they Maybe sell film rights a little earlier than they wanted to. Besides, in 2043, the copyright... There's some thought maybe that the copyright expires. And it'll be public domain. And it's in public domain, yeah. Unless, um, of course, they consider the fact that The Silmarillion is actually co-authored by Christopher instead of edited by Christopher. So then that would extend... That extends the copyright. I think it's like 70 years.
0: Yeah, I and mean... And he's still alive, so... I know, know that he's sort of kind of weird about the movies and about the video games yeah. and things like yeah. that. That, um, But, I mean, there's the other side of the coin of that, which is how many millions of people have now read the books? right? And because have read The Silmarillion, something that yeah. m- most people probably would not even bother. Pick. I mean, you would pick it up, and you'd, get, you'd start looking at it and go, "I'll oh, forget this, I don't even know what I'm looking at. It's, so, I yeah. mean... Yes, there is the whole well this is getting diluted or the, yeah. the message is not what my father would want or what I would like but if you're talking about like you're saying a cultural legacy it's also a brand right that is associated with the Tolkien right. name and family right. yeah. I mean do you want it to go away do you, or, or do you want more people to come to it I mean unfortunately in this day and age but do you want see this the Christopher's Perspective is is
1: who do you want coming to but it? Was, he wants to choose who's coming to it. Well, that's
0: silly. Well I think everybody should have it, and I think yeah. that. Listen, how did I? I got into I read Lord of the Rings because I was interested in uh, Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah. I didn't know anything. I mean, that was what was popular. Yeah, and it was just another fantasy book which I got into. um yeah. Even Tolkien, was, even though he was a little
1: appalled by the, the hippies and the druggies wanting to read The Lord of the Rings and kind of you know adopting that as their anthem, he was still flattered by it. And he, I, I think his derision was leavened by um, the sweet – I think there is no idol that can resist the sweet smell of incense – I think it was how he referred to that exactly. <laughs> so he was he was flattered by it in, in a way as well. So I I think he probably would have dealt with it a little bit better than perhaps Christopher Tolkien.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I understand that but a movie is a <clears> or <throat> right, we're going to get into the movies in, in a little in just a, very shortly. Yeah. Um I said se- I mean like you, I think we talked before. You got to separate that stuff, but Lord of the Rings as a book is a a whole different experience than the movies. And I mean, if you're going to get locked into... We've had this discussion on this particular show a lot about... Well, people complain that this isn't like the movie or they wanted this or they wanted that. Listen, or a reboot is this. And I mean, I've complained about reboots enough. I just think... I feel that Hollywood is so unoriginal now that it's, it's sad. Yeah. You know, Ghostbusters and yeah. whatever else and whatever else. When Ghostbusters came out, it wasn't like they were remaking a Ghostbusters with like Bob Hope and like Bing Crosby or something. No, but that would have been a good <laughs> <pretty. laughs> It would have been pretty yeah. awesome, you yeah.
1: know. <laughs> Milton a <Berola>, Slimer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Star Wars was influenced by everything that George Lucas had been uh, exposed to, right? Serials... Yeah. A little bit of Tolkien, which was popular uh, uh, in the '60s when Lucas was in college and high school. Um, Fast cars and World War II movies, right? It was sort of myths myths and the the Joseph Campbell, the 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 hero's Hero's journey. Journey. Okay, and that's something that that George Lucas wanted to put into a movie. But it wasn't like he took Flash Gordon and just said, "Well, now I'm making Flash Gordon for the '70s." Right? Right. I, I I hate reboots, but however. I may not the new Star Trek movies, hmm. right? They may not be my Star Trek movies. They're, they're entertaining movies. I'll watch them anytime, and they're fun. Their special effects are amazing. The, the yeah. there's there's some humor. There's lots of action, but yes, they're not Star Trek I grew up with. However, guess what? I got a Blu-rays on my shelf. I can pop in anytime. That will never go away. So like right, you'll always have that. Lord of the Rings as a as a as a as a literary work, and, and the whole uh, sort of world of that Tolkien created is is, is up. On your shelf, multiple copies, by the way. Yeah. But um, I wish that maybe the snobbier people would yeah. sort of understand that this is not subtractive to what you have. Because right. unless it's something horrible, unless it's a, unless it's a sometimes yeah. a bad adaptation can destroy a franchise. Yeah. You know, yeah. like uh, Aragon or whatever. The, the movie uh, was, was bad. I never read the books. My wife did. I tried reading the first right. book and it's really bad. The movie was not good. You know, so I think that's sort of like... Right. But the kids were really into that for a short period yeah, of time. Right. Harry Potter, on the other hand, right? Great. Right. Movies were right. wonderfully made. The right. books, you know, biggest... I think it's the biggest selling series of all time. It has to be. Oh, it, it is. Yeah. I, think, I think it is. So, yeah. and Rowling, she really... Of course, she embraced it because it made her a lot of money. Right. But I think it was to her benefit to embrace that they are going to... I mean, obviously, she sold the rights. I'm not saying... It's not like they took... The rights away from her and said we're going to make these movies, but she understood that that the movies were something that was going to enhance. Yeah. And then of course the books are not the movies, right? No. The, 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 the characters some are somewhat different in the books and they are in movies, think, and the same thing goes for Lord of the Rings. So the criticism, okay, so the Rowling
1: adaptations are more or less pretty faithful. Yeah. Right. Whereas they're just, they're just,
0: there's just a lot of stuff they don't put in the movies because yeah, it's just there's some subplots that you just, just kind you, of go because in. of length you yeah, there's some subplots that. that are in the in the particularly like the Order of the Phoenix which you just don't see because right. it's just just too much you know right. what I mean so so
1: the when when an adaptation or or,
0: or sorry uh, uh, the Half Blood Prince there's a whole lot more to Harry and the book than is shown in the movie. It's my like, wife
1: and I often talk about how the Order of the Phoenix. Is just such a magnificent book.
0: And movies, the, the it's movie probably is the least. Just, it's, it's, a, it's one of the shorter the, ones. Yeah, it's, it's it's not it's got a, so much, and it's actually one of the, the lesser movies of that series. Uh, yeah, except that and Deathly Hallows Part One, where a whole lot of nothing happens. Yeah, it's a, all set up for the right last book. Harry and Hermione
1: go camping. But it, <laughs> right, but again, the the Rowling movies are are very faithful to the they're faithful adaptations, right to the sure. source material. Um, and the, so the big one of the biggest criticisms of the Lord of the Rings movies is that thematically they they don't resemble the books. Hmm. So you, you have got like a chronological um where you know things happen at the same steps, right? Sure. They start in the Shire, they go to Rivendell, they go through Moria, they end up in Lorien and the banks of the Anduin, right? Mm-hmm. So okay, they, they follow the same steps. Things happen in a certain sequence, of course. But you know the themes are different. The things that, that the movies stand for aren't the things that the books stand for. Right. The characters don't necessarily have the same motivations. Um, they're not the same type of characters. Frodo, for instance, is a, it's a big change. Oh yeah, because you know, he's much younger. He's much younger. He's not the kind
0: of the middle-aged scholarly 50. type. I think he was fifty. Right. In the books. But all right. So since we're we're getting into the movies and yeah. and, and we're kind of we're going to talk about things that we didn't like, yeah. things that we did like now. The key is to take the movies for what they are, right? And to enjoy them for what they are. Which are, by the way, you know the best fantasy movies probably of all time.
1: Yeah, I mean, hands down. Now, I I think that they're as good as an adaptation of The Lord of the Rings as we're likely to get.
0: And people kind of down, like particularly like Return of the King, for length. Like, this is a long movie. However, could have been...
1: There wasn't any minute
0: that I didn't enjoy. Right, and and it could have been... A uh, mini could have been, yeah. you know, ten episode miniseries yeah. or more. Um, yeah.
1: If you think about it in terms of like a game Game of Thrones sort of situation, where they do
0: seasons on HBO, I'm all do... for that for the Silmarillion, yeah, but not in a direct adaptation kind of way, but taking some of these stories and vignettes and making, yeah. and, you know, Can
1: you t- imagine like uh, like the, the the story of Turin, uh, you know, right. spaced out over ten episodes? Or
0: what I'm saying is, you know, there used to be a thing called anthology series yeah. where you would have. A different story every week Twilight Zone Twilight Zone yeah amazing story I would love to see something like that where really? you you know you're, you're in the same yeah. sort of world but yeah. this is a story of because there's a lot of stories in the Silmarillion that's, that could maybe just populate one episode
1: yeah right well I mean there's a lot of depth right Even, you know Tolkien could write like a
0: I, I mean none of the chapters
1: in the Silmarillion are very short necessarily but you, they're, they're dense right there's a lot in
0: there Oh, there is. I mean, there's a lot of words and there's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. And like one paragraph, you could have a whole... Yeah. But, so, when you read Fellowship of the Ring, what you realize is, if you've just, saw, if you've just seen the movie, and you say, oh, I'm going to actually read the books, you'll read the Fellowship of the Ring and you'll be like, w- what? nobody's in a rush, right? Because, I mean, Bilbo has his, just like in the movie, right? Bilbo yep. has his party... Does his little disappearing trick... Yeah. Says goodbye... And... Leaves. Right. Um... And... The whole ring thing... (laughs) Is sort of like... In the movie you see... There's an urgency. The ring... Gandalf tries to pick it up... Because it's... Because Bilbo's left it on the floor. Yeah. And Gandalf's like... And he gets the eye... Oh! And then Frodo comes in... And Gandalf is smoking his weed... And he's like thinking... And Frodo's like, you know, there's blah, 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 blah. blah. And he's left, he was Um, he's like, I gotta get out of here. Just keep a secret. I gotta check on something. Keep a secret. Yeah. Keep it safe. And then he's yeah. like, and then you see like this, he's on his horse and he's racing the Fellowship of the Rain movie. You don't know where. Yeah. Where it is is, yeah. uh, Minas Tirith, which is a thousand miles away. Yeah. Pretty far. Yeah. In the book, it's like years... 17 years. go. 17 years. Between the
1: long-expected party and the time
0: when Frodo leaves the Shire. So now, in a book, that's fine. Because in yeah. the book, it's sort of like, well, this is... A, the evil is slowly growing, it's gaining power, but it's not like the end of the world is happening. Yeah. But in a movie, you can't have the main character in the beginning of the story go... All right, and, it's, and then like you know, Gandalf Rose riding away. Seventeen years later, <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, that's the problem of adaptation, right? right? Things that work in a book don't work in a movie. No, yeah, so that's why you kind
1: of have to accept the movie's different. It it needs to do different things. And the
0: journey from the Shire to yeah. Bree right. even yeah. is very protracted. It's very, yeah, you know, they get caught well, up. So much is left out. Barrows and uh, the Barrow Whites and the old forest, the old Tom forest, Bombadil. and Tom Bombadil, Crick Hollow. Right Nobody ever talks about Crick Hollow Crick Hollow is a lot of fun There's a lot of There's a few chapters They have a bath So And and as a movie I love I'm a film buff Shortcut through the mushrooms Shortcut Yeah farmer Maggot fun, Did you say yeah. that? <laughs> um, I like a lot of, of Fellowship I think I like everything About Fellowship of the Ring I don't really I can't favorite. really Fault yeah. the movie Too much I mean The thing that uh, The other complaint That people uh, Tend to lay on these movies Especially with the fellowship, I think, is the introduction of Arwen as uh, Frodo's savior. But as we said earlier about Glorfindel, mm. does it really change anything? Because Glorfindel would have been, Hi, I'm a pretty elf. Yeah. I'll carry this halfling. And, and then... you need
1: Arwen in there. Right. I mean, she she you, you can't take Arwen out of Aragorn's story. Right. And Aragorn, his destiny is sort of wrapped up when what happens, um, you know, what what he does is, you know, ultimately at the. It, from the movie standpoint, because of uh, this, uh, the love of Arwen. Right. And, um, and it, it also reflects back on the the story of Baron and Luthien, which is, again, that's central, that's the heart of
0: the Silmarillion. Right? And there's the actually story. in the deleted scene they do talk about it, too. Or in the extended version, right? Oh, yeah, right. But could have been worse because uh, they did film her at Helm's Deep.
1: Oh, that's not good. They, yeah. That would have been bad. They
0: decided not to go that way. That was smart. They but, brought Haldir in instead. Yes. Yeah. But they did have her there. So, I mean, they kind of maybe said, well, we probably don't want to. Yeah. They the, the, There's only a few things with Lord of the Rings that really, the movies, as far as, that I, I find, uh, pull me out of the movie mm-hmm. completely. Like what? Uh, main one that really, now, I understand the reasoning behind it uh, film-wise and I understand character-wise. But Faramir being such a dick, <laughs> right? Yeah. Makes, I always thought in the books it was very interesting that his that he was so the opposite of his brother, right? Yeah. His brother was like, "Oh, I need that. Yeah, I can use it to go and I'm gonna use it. I'm gonna take it. No big deal. I'm gonna take it back to my city. We're gonna we're gonna end this. It's cool." Faramir knew what it was, knew how dangerous it was, and knew he didn't really want that. It was where it belonged. Yeah. Um, and he was a much more noble character. I mean, and he ends up, of course, now, again, the characters all end up mostly where they should be. Yeah. yeah so at the end of the movie, he has a, oh, I, uh, I think we understand ourselves We understand each other. Yeah. For some reason, I don't know, it comes sort of out of nowhere, but before that, it's like, it, he's just, it's just like Boromir part two. I yeah. want the ring. Yeah. I'm going to be a jerk to your golem friends yeah. just because. Yeah. So
1: again, we're looking at the brothers Boromir and Faramir right. as an example of the weakness of men, right? This mm-hmm. is what happened to Isildur when he he uh, he cut the ring off Sauron's finger and instead of destroying it as he should have and making it a much shorter book or movie, <laughs> <laughs> um, he displayed this weakness that's inherent in men. It's also what inherently caused the fall of Númenor. Um, so this weakness is part of... Uh, it's what men are made up of and there's this it's necessary to contract the redemptive spirit of Aragorn um and um ultimately of like that stronger strain of men that Aragorn is the ultimate descendant of whether that's through Elendil um his great forefather or um, ultimately, the you know some of the the kings of Numenor who right. were you know good and just kings, some were not, some were. Um, and going back up and through the um, you know Elros and Arandal and uh, Baron himself. Hmm. So you got you've got Aragorn on one side, this vision of this redemptive figure, mm-hmm. um, and you've got on the other side this fallen figure, this Boromir, and you know Faramir sort of stra- straddles both sides. The interesting thing about Faramir is that a fan once asked Tolkien if he ever saw himself in any of the characters in the Lord of the Rings, uh, or who he most identified with. And Tolkien um, uh, said it was Faramir. I mean, he, he he said if he, ever, you know, he didn't marry Sue himself into the Lord of the Rings, but <laughs> if he had, it would have been in the character yeah. he identifies best with, Faramir, wow. especially in his uh, time of convalescence in the Houses of. The houses of healing at Minas Tirith, oh, because of his uh, sickness, right? right? Yeah. I no, know, I just really. think
0: that Faramir in the books uh, ends up seems comes off much more favorably than in the movies. I think it's hard. I think a lot of that happened is uh, part of the casting. I think. Yeah, the actor's a little bit. David Wenham. Was David in. Wenham. Yeah. 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 I don't know.
1: I, eh. He had a hard job to do.
0: Yeah, I don't but wanna... I mean, he had to go from being sort of like this almost because, like, you're you have to be. First of all, when you find out that he's Boromir's brother, you're meant to be like, oh, it's more of this. How do you live to Sean Bean? Yeah, and I mean, he, he's not going to die, so. And there's even a scene in the in, yep. in, in the extended version where Boromir is taking over Askiliath And, yep. you know, Framir's like, oh, he's kind of like the wormy dude, yeah. you know, kind of. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm kind of like, yeah, Boromir's great. <laughs> and his father's like, you know. I'm a good guy too, Dad. Oh, what time I go? Clean my holes. Give me a grape. Right. Give me <laughs> give me some grape tomatoes. Yeah. Um so I don't know, I feel bad for, for the character Faramir in, in Two Towers because only dramatically because they were trying to um they had to first of all, they had to stop up Frodo and Sam from yeah. moving through the story too fast. Yeah. So they had to have that diversion where, no, we're taking you to Minas Tirith and yeah. now you're gonna go to Asgiliath for some reason. Yeah. Um
1: um, now the flip side of that, talking about casting roles that were changed, my um, like conception of the, the character is John Noble as Denethor. Right, is fantastic. <clears throat> I mean, that was a, a a role that he played, you know, for all it was worth.
0: Yeah, yeah, the boy, he was. Uh, he handled up. Yeah, very him. Yeah. He was. He was probably the the, the broadest of yeah. of the characters. Yeah. Um, I wish they would have made clear that there was really something wrong with him because he was using the, um, the, palantir. the palantir, that that's sort of what did it him in. Did that then, come out in no, the, no, well, uh, the pal- in the extended edition, the palantir is there in the white yeah. tower, but Aragorn, you know, uses it to yeah. let Sauron know, hey, I'm coming for you. And yeah. Look what I got. I got my sword and I'm coming to get so you. So refresh
1: yeah. first my memory. The palantir that they have that Aragorn looks into. That might
0: be, that might be Gandalf, the one that, I think that's the one Gandalf took from Sauron. Yeah. yeah, but so, you're right. In the books, there's the books, a Palantir in Minas Tirith. Yeah. In the books, that's yeah. why, and that's why. Yeah, because Sauron was like trying to mess with his head. He's like yeah. showing him the fall of yeah. Minas Tirith, and yeah. you know this is so. Yeah. So in the books, and it, it made sense that Denethor was like.
1: And again, an example of you know this line, this strain of man that right. has fallen. Right. You know, Denethor was a a, no, a man of great nobility and strength, and he strove with Sauron in right. the Palantir, and it's no. Uh, it's no shame that he fell before this great dark lord, but you know.
0: But that's again. Now, if that they could have done that in like a one minute scene, it, it, it would it could have probably. probably yeah. But then again, maybe they don't want his character to have like any kind of. Yeah. They just want to be like this is this guy's nutty and he's just a, a, he's, a, a he's an obstacle. For, he's a screen villain. He's right. an obstacle for yeah for this for this particular part of the story. Yeah, but it's still that's fun to watch him play the character. That oh one. yeah, I mean you know Gandalf off beating yeah. him in the head when, yeah. you know, when he's like telling Not everybody run him. away right. <laughs> be, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they can't argue, and I guess they recast um, Aragorn like what, like a week before shooting or something. They'd like they
1: actually s- started shooting. Stuart
0: Townsend, yeah, who was in Queen of the Damned. That what a
1: great idea to recast that role.
0: Because have you seen Queen of the Damned?
1: Yeah, that would not that guy
0: not would, good. No. That would not have been good casting. No, um, <laughs> Viggo
1: Mortensen owned that role.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah. he was uh, he was uh, you know when you watch the behind the scenes stuff, I mean he was a nut. Yeah. Like you know the scene where he kicks the helmet broke his broke toe. Broke his toe. That's yeah. why he's screaming. Yeah. There's another scene where he was fighting an oracle and he got his tooth broke out and he was just like, Ah, just give me some super glue and I'll put it back in or whatever and they made him go to the dentist. Yeah. But uh he was, he's uh interesting uh he's an interesting cat, that's for sure. And then, My favorite anecdote is at the end
1: of Fellowship of the Ring where he's fighting Lurts. Yeah. And he throws the knife at him. And he, yeah.
0: And he really he threw it wrong, right? And he, he batted it away. He threw
1: the real knife at, at Vigo Mortensen and he actually batted it away with the sword and I yeah. just kept it in I guess he's a boss he is
0: I haven't seen him in a movie lately though what do you need to do any more
1: movies for yeah
0: he's um he's always
1: going to be Aragorn no he was in a couple of good ones though, I think
0: that definitely. the casting for that movie was uh, those movies were
1: for the most part
0: I, I, I liked uh, let's say I mean Elijah Wood great yeah um, yeah uh, Sean Astin great Sean Astin was great casting um, I think. you know yeah. John Rhys Davies, awesome casting. Even though he's the tallest one, yeah, of all of them, but which is he's funny. awesome. He's awesome, but he's. he's uh, I like. I mean, I, the fellowship. I don't really. I mean, I always pictured. I, I will say this. I always pictured Boromir as more yeah. of a uh, huge, yeah. hulking warrior I guy. Think that's
1: got something to do with the, the animation.
0: <laughs> so when when it was Sean Bean, horn. I was kind of like, oh, I wanted him to have a horn. Yeah, helmet. where's the horn helmet? Right. Um,
1: Interesting fact:
0: uh,
1: um, John Rhys Davies is uh you know plays the dwarf Ghibli. Uh he also plays the the voice of Tree Beard. Treebeard. But he's been cast as the Elf King in the Elf Stones of Shinara ah. TV show
0: that's coming out on MTV later this year. And he was on sliders. And he was Sala. So he's going to be <laughs> an, he's going to be a dwarf, an elf, an ant an, an Egyptian builder. An Egyptian builder.
1: Yeah, but casting uh I don't know, I mean Ian McKellen it was ideal.
0: Sean Day wanted and Sean Connery. They,
1: if they had done that, I think they probably would have ruined the movie. It would have been Sean Connery been
0: as... Cheesy. Yeah. Because, I mean, I understand the at the time. You yeah. you like in 1998. Think if you asked me in 1998 who would have been the best Gandalf, I would have said Sean Right. Connery. I mean, it made sense. He was still doing movies back then. He was still yeah. in, in a bunch of things. And they'd be like, well, we need an old wizened... Oh, Sean. Yeah. Right. I no. mean...
1: Ian McKellen um, was perfect. Sean, and, not posh. Uh, <laughs> well, Cannot. You cannot. Polish. You say cannot, or you say shall not. I say cannot, and that's that's another criticism of the movie versus right? because <laughs> it's it, it's cannot in the books and it's shall not, of course, in the movies. <laughs> um,
0: my eyes are rolling, Dave. Come on, you're killing me here.
1: Um, and of course, we've we've got the Lord of the Rings movies to thank for inflicting Orlando Bloom upon the world.
0: Okay. <laughs> I mean, but he, again, there's a guy you haven't seen too much. He was in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, he doesn't really do too much work. I haven't. Seen, I mean, he was in The Hobbit. Kingdom of Heaven was very good. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. I love that movie. That also has Doctor Bashir from Star Trek, who will also be on Game of Thrones this season. Yes, he is Dorian Martell. Ooh. So, um, yeah. I mean, uh, again, Theoden. I thought, figure oh, yeah. Bernard uh, Hill. Oh, Bernard Hill, very good. I f- I pictured him as older. Yep. Um, but it yeah. was fun. He's pretty old now. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I didn't really t- take issue with any of the casting. I mean, I wouldn't have really... I mean, Arwen could have been a little bit... Best uh, cast. Who was the best cast actor? You have uh, I know. I, no, I got to go with Ian McKellen. Yeah, I was going to say Ian McKellen. Yeah. It was really... Because, I mean... Worst cast, then? Oh, um... Psh, I don't know. I'm really not a fan of Liv Tyler. But, really? Yeah, I didn't really... It wasn't really her... Huh.
1: Interesting. I thought she did a really good job. Uh,
0: I don't know. Something bad. She it.
1: had a hard job to do.
0: I know. If, you, if, it, comes, if it comes to elf ladies, I'll take... Uh, Galadriel. No, I'll take... Um, Tariel? Yeah. boy, really? She's a nice looking woman. I thought her <laughs> wig
1: was very fake. She had that weird hairline.
0: Oh, who's looking at that? <laughs> Fair um, enough. Um... No, I don't. Worst cast you had? What was yours? Um, I didn't say yet, but um,
1: you know, I I kind of want to say Mary Brandy Buck, Mary Oh, really? Yeah, love him. Yeah, it was a little too slapsticky, I guess, for my for my taste. Oh, you're crazy. I thought Pippin was did a great job. Yep. Um, but uh yeah. Oh, really? I mean. I, if
0: I had to say who's the worst, I don't really I didn't think there's any really dislike. Them. No, I don't. I don't really. Have, yeah. I really don't have any complaints. No. Um, there was a lot of things that they were going to like. People who complained about the changes, which I mean, we can talk all day about the changes. Yeah. There was a million. Yeah, there was going to be a part uh, at the end of the movie where Aragorn fought Sauron. Oh yeah, you know they changed him into a troll. Right at the end but that was going to be a good decision right yeah. cuz that was going to be sauron and armor like oh i'm now yeah it's like a boss fight
1: right he would have come out like like the beginning of fellowship of the ring right it, it would have been like we're going to
0: now would have been a big replay mistake. that with right. aragorn he's right. going to triumph because yeah. well he wouldn't really just, and there's
1: all there's actually been some fan some debate as to whether or not sauron was corporeal right whether he did have a body yeah no
0: we've never really established that
1: like, Well. I I think that it I think the debate is sort of done I mean I think that Tolkien established that at the end of the second age when Isildur cut the ring from him separated him from this vast investiture of his power that he did destroy his mortal his uh, corporeal form so he was
0: just sort of like a wraith right right sort of a, akin to what so he dwelt the because were. the movies sort of just say well Sauron is the eye like right. that is him Yeah, like the
1: physical manifestation of his power was that eye on top of which I
0: always thought in the books was just like, well, that's just what he uses to, right? See, it's it's, well, like I I always pictured him in the tower, and the eye was like sort of like this big, almost. You know, I I never
1: I can't say I ever had a clear conception of how I, pictured Salon in in the books other than this spirit spirit of malevolence, this malice that sort of pervaded. Mordor, right? Mm. And that um, to actually see him embodied as something would have been sort of a letdown because nothing could have nothing could have lived up to this all-encompassing spirit of evil like that he's supposed to be, right? Yeah, like, I mean, the minute you the minute you see the devil, you could beat him, right? Yeah. You, you know, he's stick. got an arm and a leg you can cut off, just like his Zolder cut off the the
0: ring, right. right? So, and then what's to say Aragorn couldn't you know stick his sword in him? <laughs> he you know? Well, I mean, I will say that my favorite, the thing about th- those movies, that I find that there's some things that sometimes you watch a movie and you realize, oh, this is sort of pretty much how I imagined it. Yeah. And a lot of Fellowship of the Ring is like that, especially yes. the parts in the Shire and Bree. Yeah. All that stuff was very like. Uh, but the thing that most jumped out is the part, is the Crack of Doom. It almost, in my oh, mind, yeah. Yeah. it seemed so familiar when I was watching it. Like, yeah. I'm like, this is almost how I pictured this. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, they did a really awesome job. Uh, At the end of of that um, movie, with at least for me um, showing that. And of course, we can talk, we talked about Scouring the Shard and how it didn't happen. Mm. Now, Lord of the Rings, I think, even though fans were like split, like, you know, people like you who are more snobby than you Mm. have said, the movies are garbage and, um, you know, the books are great. And and, 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 and you can make that case, I suppose. But, I mean, nothing compares to the Hobbit controversy. Uh, Yeah because well, i mean that's a tough one it's it, 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 it's hard if you want to be a purist uh, yeah but i i um i
1: actually don't have a problem with it being three movies i though. don't either
0: i i got to be honest I, I, haven't, I haven't the
1: more middle earth movies you want to give me the more happy i'm going to be I'm, <laughs> I'm i'm fine with that but i think peter jackson actually explained it really well when he said there's um there was like two movies, there's two hobbits, right? There's the hobbit that Tolkien wrote. And then there's the hobbit that he sort of like kind of wrote in, into the Lord of the Rings and into the appendices. Right. Right. So he created like these, this additional stuff. And there's a lot of invention Mm -hmm. in the three movies. Um, there's a lot of invention of in the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> <Not> <laughs> the not sure, but there's a lot. There, there's more so in the Hobbit, but they're reasonable extrapolations. So there's nothing that's too outside the realm of what may have or could have or
0: like, occurred. It's not like you know. There, there's like a little a, a teenage Aragorn hanging out. No, uh, you know. Right. It's not like, you know. Yes, there's an elf. I mean, character we talked about Toriel, yeah. but
1: again, a reasonable extrapolation. I mean, there, there's an elf captain of Mur- of Mirkling, right? Yeah. So, to say now this elf captain has a name and she's female, and, okay, an egregious subplot that they probably could have done with that was her romantic subplot okay. with, with Keeley. I
0: right? thought it was adorable. Well. <laughs> I did. I, I'm be yeah. honest with you. I I, I liked it. Yeah. and. There's, not, there's no women. Otherwise, there'd be no females in that movie. Well, they they, they did put
1: Galadriel in. And in a
0: very badass scene. In a
1: very badass scene. Yes. Can we say badass on the internet? We can say badass. You can say whatever you want on the internet, oh. but on this
0: podcast, try to
1: keep it clean. Ah. Um, I would not want to, for instance, I would not want to have given up seeing the White Council oh. um, attacking people. I've r-
0: rarely been that happy in movies lately where, you know, the three of them are together... Yeah. And they send. Yeah. Char- uh, she she uses so much of her power that yeah. she sends uh, Sauron running back to Mordor, yeah. which is as it is described yeah. in the uh, appendices. Yeah, yeah. The, and that whole part is in the appendices. This this yeah. is not. I mean, they, yes, like he said. He you, you said they invented quite a bit. They invented the character tutorial. They, they invented all that Lake Town stuff. Some of the Radagast stuff was a bit. Yeah, I, there's goofy stuff. Uh, Listen, I'm not going to say there's, there's stuff in the movies I'm, I don't cringe at. You know, the the, the, the bomber becoming like a, a barrel with axes and stuff flying out of him, and he's like spinning around. And a little goofy. Dying a, iron Ironfoot, right? Uh, as a Scottish hooligan, no, I love that. Soccer. I'm hooligan. sorry, you, I can, you can make fun of. I can't. I, he's a riding a pig, and he's got <laughs> horns on his beard. It's, he's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, and all those see all those dwarves armored yeah. up and fighting. I just.
1: You know, that I, mean, I want to like that more than I do because I I, you know, I, I've read a couple of interviews with uh, Billy Connolly, and I know I, this shouldn't bother me, but he doesn't seem to have the respect for the source material that oh. a lot of the other folks are in the movie. Well, he was do. only in it for like... Ah, I mean, he wasn't even in it. It was all CGI. Ten minutes. It wasn't actual... He wasn't actually filmed. Oh, really? I, I didn't mean know he was this. filmed, but it was all motion capture, right? CGI? Oh. Where it's... That's not really him. You're huh. looking at a computer-generated image.
0: Oh, well, anyway, I... I I don't mind it. Yeah. That, that that I like the Battle yeah. of the Five Armies was was pretty cool to it was see. It's pretty epic, you know. Yeah, and I mean, you know, in the book, you know, is it five? Five armies. Is it five though? Well, what about the Eagles? I think it's more than it's like seven. I guess you're right.
1: There's there's the dwarves of the, of, of Erebor, right? Okay, Thorin then, then, and then the, the,
0: door, the 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 dwarves of the Iron, Iron, Hills. Mount, Iron Hills, yeah.
1: There's the elves. There's the men of Lake Town. There's two armies of orcs. <laughs> There's the Bjornings. There's the Eagles. So that's eight. Well, that's seven if you count the orcs as one combined
0: army. (laughs) Book says five. Um, (laughs) So I guess that's what it's called. All right. But in the book, you know, let's remember that Bilbo gets knocked out. Yeah. And he wakes up and everybody's dead or (laughs) dying. Yeah. So any of the stuff that really happens in the movie after Bilbo gets knocked out...
1: Hey, could have happened.
0: Could have happened. Um the fact that they wanted to and I, they wanted to make bilbo a little bit more of an active participant than he really was in the book mm-hmm. cuz a lot of he's sort of just going along for yeah. the ride um, and i guess you could say that about bilbo for the hobbit in general he, he's on an adventure mm-hmm. but um, people if you compare him to frodo it's it's completely different yes it's like frodo is actively yeah doing something for the greater good and bilbo just right. has been sort of forced Fro- frodo's on frodo's made a decision yeah and Bilbo's sort of like Gandalf sort of like booted in. there's a horror
1: that Frodo knows he has to face and he goes into it with his eyes open whereas you know Bilbo kind of bumbles into it right
0: yeah I don't don't want
1: to take anything away from Bilbo he makes a big step outside his front door when he accepts the contract and at the the time
0: like he's worried like I said he's worried about his doilies and he's worried about plates it's not
1: there isn't that desperateness there so it's more like this is going to be fun I'm
0: going to get some gold and yeah um, Although going up against the dragon does seem to be a bit, I mean, and, and it doesn't. Tough. There's no. There's very few scenes that are better than uh, Bilbo and Smaug. Yeah, uh, having their tête-à-tête uh, tete yeah. in, in the uh, pile of gold. I, I really enjoyed that. That's. Uh, I can watch that a million times. Yeah, and I can really watch more is Benedict Cumberbatch doing his motion capture on his hands and knees <laughs> making faces. It is. Funny if you've never seen, yeah. it, look for that. Yeah, it's on, I did. Special I watched, I it on the special features. On the desolation it of Schmaug. as they say, in, uh, Schmaug is how Peter, Jack, Peter Jackson. Uh, he mispronounces says. it. He puts a C in there. Yeah, Schmaug.
1: says Schmaug.
0: Schmaug. He makes the movies, yeah. so he can. So he makes the billions. Are we done with um, move with any kind of adaptations? Is that going to be it? You think? I hmm. wonder. Well,
1: um, at least in t- so the the. Um, Middle Earth Enterprises which is the company that owns the um, the film rights right and that's which by the way is owned by Saul Zance, who produced Amadeus oh which we were talking about earlier which is a magnificent movie Yes, um, they they only own the rights to the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings now if there's been some talk of you know pushing the envelope of copyright law because you potentially could draw some material out of the Silmarillion by sourcing it from the poems and stories and background right. in the Lord of the Rings and the Appendices. Sure. Um, so you could get a a pretty workable, serviceable Silmarillion story out of out of that, out of what you could find there. Mm. Um, that doesn't seem to be where they want to go. I think they they probably want the cooperation of the Tolkien Estate, which will not probably will almost certainly not be forthcoming in the lifetime of Christopher Tolkien. Right. Um, but there ain't
0: much longer to go. Well, I mean, the
1: man, like I said, he's <laughs> going to be
0: 91 this year. And... Well, I mean, I don't feel like Peter, Peter Jackson would... I feel like he's kind of like... Had, I would. I mean, if I was him, yeah. you're talking oh. since 1997, yeah. 98, where he started to get involved in this? I, I think he wants the goodwill of the Tolkien estate. I, I think... But I mean, I'm just saying I can't imagine that he would be actively involved mm. as a director again of anything. Oh, well... I mean, you said that
1: about the Hobbit too. So, but he, I
0: think, I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I know that, yeah. that Guillermo del Toro uh, left the project, yeah. so I feel like Peter Jackson was like, "Well, Had to, I right. have to do yeah. this because he's producing it and it's his, yeah, it's his name right. as well." well so also, I, think I think he, he
1: cared enough. Right. He cared too much about just handing it over to it. I
0: mean, I he went back to being ch- sort of fat Peter Jackson. Yeah, he was he very skinny. He got fat again. Yeah, because I mean, that's he what happened. He went Hobbit. <laughs> Not, but then when you look at and you go back. Backwards and see him, uh, like when they show Fellowship of the Ring stuff. He yeah. was he was big, very very overweight big. and young. Yeah, but and I ever...
1: think you you um, you make a good point. I think it uh, if they do new uh, Middle Earth movies, and just let me say, I feel like there will be more Middle Earth. Movies. There has to. Be. I mean, just, the... I mean they're gonna make up shit stuff. I mean, they may not necessarily even look to the source material. I think they're just going to say, okay. Like, look at the video games. I mean, you've got that shadow of Mordor. Which is fun. And I'm sure it is. But um, it is
0: not... But it it isn't... Christopher Tolkien. Tolkien, right. If he would see any of it. Oh, he plots. Oh, my god, In goodness. a bad way. It is very violent. He loses. He loses He's his chopping plot. orcs heads off. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an interesting story. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting story. I, I haven't really talked about it before yeah. on this, but... You know, it's like you're playing this ranger who lives in Athelion uh, yeah. and, um, you know, he dies. His family gets butchered yeah. by Sauron's uh, people and he gets taken over by uh, this uh, uh, elven spirit who turns out to be the uh, elf who crafted the ring for Sauron, who was Celebrimbor. Yeah. Uh, so you have Celebrimbor's spirit in you, which you find out throughout the game and he helps you do some cool huh. wraith stuff. So, there's actually, so the cool thing about the game is, yes, it is very weird, but you do get to see, uh, him making the ring and Sauron with his fair guys, where he doesn't look like Sauron, no. like he's very pretty and beautiful. So, yeah. it's sort like, of. Lord of Gifts. Right. So, he has like this very flung hair. Yeah. He looks like a nice, very attractive elf type yeah. guy. It was kind of an interesting, like, hey, this is cool. I'm actually, see- you're seeing this. Something you've read about, yeah. so yeah, it's not like there's a lot
1: of information to be. So they don't even have to do a Silmarillion movie, right? They could do something out of the Second Age. They can tell the story of Numenor, which is a uh, an epic Atlantis type myth. Um, actually, it's it's almost a uh, Garden of Eden myth. It's a, a, like a Fall of Man type myth. Hmm. Um, and uh, it, 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 I mean, there's a lot of material that they can do on the the Last lines of Men and Elves. The uh, You know, the, the, or in the Third Age, where, uh, the northern kingdom of Arnor is besieged by Angbar and, uh, broken up
0: and brought to ruin. Right. There's, there's tons of, like, stuff that you could find in the books that. They even went up to Angband a little bit, didn't they, in The Hobbit? Uh. Or was that, was Adult, what was was the name of it? Where, uh, uh, Mount Gundabad. Mount Gundabad, which is sort of they're talking about.
1: Mount Gundabad is actually where the dwarves came from ah they were uh, uh started in mount Gundabad, ah. and it's uh yeah, it was taken over by the Orcs. who's the guy that made them uh that was one of the
0: valar right uh I forget uh, it was, was it a Rome? they're no. made out of like i don't know I, I i i try to remember but my i always tell my wife my favorite yeah uh, valar is um auli auli yeah, yeah. my yeah. favorite valar is Tulkas because he likes to wrestle Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> and he wrestled Sauron, uh, Morgoth. That's awesome. Wrestled Morgoth. I, I, I chained
0: him. I get a kick out of it. Yeah, guy. he laughs and he And his it. name is Tulkas. Yeah, His name is <laughs> It's and Like you, And you like that
1: for pure reasons, don't you?
0: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy, we've really talked for a while, so we're probably going to wrap it up. Yeah, because we we were all over the map. Yeah, um, which is pretty much what I expected. Tried to keep it <laughs> where I thought we were going to go. Prediction. Yes. One day. There will be an authorized
1: sequel to The Lord of the Rings. So you you remember Gone with the Wind. Right? Yes, there was. Classic what novel. What was the sequel called? Mar- Margaret Mitchell wrote it in the 1930s. Yeah. Nobody touched it for years. Money was to be made. They authorized um, Alexandra Ripley to okay. write a book, a sequel called Scarlet. Scarlet. Um, and now there's a cottage industry of making sequels to Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility. There's a lot of you know folks essentially writing fan fiction about Jane Austen right um w- once the lord of the rings and um uh the, once the rights issue the copyrights issue becomes a a, a little looser you're going to start seeing the you know the different hands in the estate kind of coming back to hmm. you know we we want this to be a living growing evolving legacy um it isn't going to be christopher tolkien's pers- um, he won't that happen with him and it may not even and you know christopher sister priscilla may be taking some uh, uh, actions in, in within the estate as well. She's one of the executives. Of the, not the executive of the estate, but she's on the board of the estate, right? right. The trust. She's one of the trustees of the estate. So, And she's in her early 80s, mid-80s, something like that. So the, the, the direct Tolkien family aren't going to have any part of this. Um, but again, there's too much money to be made. And we know it all comes down to commerce
0: when it comes to this sort of thing. People are going to want to read a sequel to The Lord and, of the Rings. And the Tolkien family, nobody really wants to go to work. Right, well, I mean, if listen, they're not, they're really I, not that wealthy. All right, also, I'm saying, yeah. listen, if my grandfather, they wrote, could be. My grandfather wrote Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I'd be like, dude, give me some. I'll, I'll. What do you got? You got pinball machines? Yeah. Yeah. All right, here you go. Here, stamp. <laughs> Simon, uh,
1: Tolkien's no. grandson, Simon Tolkien. Yeah. He's a former barrister, lawyer out of the UK. He's now. Uh, a novelist, and he makes his living writing books. Is this, um, does he use his name Tolkien? He does. Wow! But he doesn't trade on it. it it's they're they're not they're uh, suspense legal fillers. They're they're very good. They're nothing like what okay. his grandfather wrote. Um, but he's made his own way in the world. I don't think there's I'm a just,
0: stream of income that no, uh, but that filters They now. have. There's been other, like you said, and The Godfather even continued on. Right. There's been sequels. That's right. Of varying quality. Yeah. Um so you, I mean, it, it wouldn't be unheard of, it and it would, doesn't destroy the legacy of
1: The Godfather, or Gone with the Wind, or Pride and Prejudice. Or, no, you're it's just always expanding the. Works. Uh,
0: it's just kind of neat the to fandom right. demand is, exists right. I mean, if you say like for example The Godfather, well, what happened after after 1959 through 1979 when there was two, yeah. and then there was Godfather three. We, we you know. Godfather Three, but I mean, so there's story I to like be- Godfather Three. I did, yeah. I actually did too. Yeah. Sofia Coppola, not so much, but uh. you know, um, so there's story to be told. The same thing with Lord of the Rings. There's there's big chunks of stuff. I'm sure that you can tell a whole b- bunch of stuff of Aragorn as a younger person. I'm sure fan made. There's been some fan yeah, films and then there's a film that yeah. somebody made about Arathorn. Yeah, um, but I mean, I'm saying there probably is some stories that would probably, if I was going to. Say I'm going to publish a book, uh, in the Lord of the Rings universe. I think probably first one I would say is hey, make make me a uh, Aragorn story. Yeah. Before he, he he met up with everybody, I want to know what how come he's such a badass, and I want to know what he was up to. Yeah. Um, so you know what I think would make a great book? What's that? Is the story of the fall of okay?
1: So the, the time is is relatively compact, right? From the um the Ar Pharazon was a king of Numenor. He was a um, kind of a, like a despot. And he sailed to Middle Earth and, um, he conquered, he, he brought, raised this huge host and met Sauron on the field. And Sauron actually didn't give battle. He actually knelt to the king of Numenor hmm. and surrendered because he saw that he came in such great strength and power. Um, but Sauron knew you could win in another way, right? So he returned to Numenor as a hostage of the king. And, um, corrupted the, the, the men of Numenor and the uh, kind of a long story short, uh, 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 corrupted the men to try to attack uh, Amon, Valinor, which right. is why the Earth was split. It was flat, right? Mm-hmm. And then the Valar, they shut that down and <laughs> and made the Earth round so that you could no longer just sail over the sea to Valinor. Now you had to kind of go a special way. You had uh, the grace of the elves to go, right? Um, but... A family of, uh, Numenorians, a righteous family of Numenorians, escaped the destruction of Numenor. Alendil and his sons, uh, Isildur and Anarion, fled over the seas, landed in Middle-earth, founded the kingdoms of Gondor and mm-hmm. Arnor, and, um, and when Sauron rose again in Mordor, uh, created this last alliance of men and elves with Gogalad, right. the, the last high king of the elves, and Elrond, and they kind of had this, that's, the prologue of right. The Fellowship of the Ring is that last battle in the, hmm.
0: and um, well, that, you know, would, that story would kind of make yeah. a great book. Actually, uh, yeah, it would make a great book. Uh, and it would yeah. make a pretty a cool, cool movie. movie. <laughs> 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 I mean, it sounds like there's lots of cool
1: special yeah. effects. Ending, of course, with, you know, the ring being cut from the finger and maybe
0: a zilder. Beginning that he was not a Tolkien expert, so... Well, you know, just saying. An enthusiastic fan. Uh-huh, whatever. <laughs> um, so thanks, everybody, for listening, if you're still here. Um... <laughs> Rico will be back next week. Um, Thanks, Dave. My pleasure. Thank you. Say goodbye to everybody. Bye, everybody. (laughs) See you next time.